trick-or-treating with the trailer park trash. A hokey-tonkin' at the Halloween bash. The drinking doubles in a double wide. Spooky people getting Dixie fried. The creepy folks, if you know what I mean. Look, what's up with the booze? Oh, yeah. Meet my new best friend. Oh, is this how your new work friends roll? Maybe. Jealous. <laughs> Whatever. You know what, Annie? I don't need your shit. You don't need my shit? You don't need my shit? I put up with your shit 24-7. You better back the fuck off. Or what? Huh? The fuck are you gonna do? You know what? You act like you're the only one whose life got fucking trashed. I am so not buying the new Lori act. I'm not putting up with your mommy's shit. Get the fuck out of my room. Get the fuck out of my room. I'm not impressed. The authorities haven't been able to produce a body. Do you think Michael's alive or dead? Will he kill again? Here we go again. Look, let me make things nice and sparkling clear. Michael Myers is fucking dead. Now, do you brain dead gossip mongers want me to spell it out for you? D E A D. Psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien! It's all for you! I am the eater of wood. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, sadly, the final installment of this year's greatest october in the history of forever i'm zach i'm matt and this is episode number 347 halloween 2 or as we used to call it and still do rob zombies halloween 2 although that is not even remotely the official title but i think it's a good way to signify which halloween 2 we're discussing yeah i don't know if people would have jumped to probably the original halloween 2 well, I am going to put 2009 in the title That's of the episode. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I think if I left it as Halloween 2, I think most people would assume it was the original. I don't That's know what I would think. Yeah. Anyone would think we were doing this. <laughs> yeah. 
And people probably are going to be like, this requires an explanation, and we'll get there. But it is one of those ones where, you know, like, go on YouTube and you'll see countless in defense of Halloween 2 or why it's an underrated or overlooked masterpiece. Yeah, it's definitely getting there. Yeah. It's a slower journey than Halloween 3, which obviously took 20 plus years, but once it started happening, it was like overnight. Right. Halloween 3 just suddenly became accepted as great. Uh huh. Whereas this one, it's a little slower. (laughs) We're really fighting an uphill battle. In fact, they had to win me over because I definitely was not in that group for a long time, which we'll we'll get into our history as we go. But we have a long relationship of trying to like this movie. They've been chipping away at it for a while. (laughs) That just goes to show you that when I saw this in the theater and I immediately thought D plus at best, (laughs) I was not impressed by the theatrical cut of this film, but... It always stuck in my head, and it didn't happen by accident that it became a thing where we would watch this every now and again, try to, yeah, and act as if we wanted to like it. There had to be some reason it was this movie, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Like, we kept returning to it and thinking, we'll like this movie eventually. There's not that many movies I can say that about. I know, that's what I mean. Like, it's there's unique no in that way. Yeah, There was something there. We'll just get it out of the way right now. We are doing the director's cut which used to be the version you could find pretty easily and was the one that was available on Blu-ray. But now the theatrical cut is sort of yeah. p- popping back up I know on that's, streaming and stuff. That's streaming on Peacock right yeah. now. We're talking about the director's cut. There is a significant difference. It is not just oh yeah edited for material or anything like that or time. It changes the story. I can't remember when this was, but somewhere along the journey... You were talking about watching one of the cuts, and you're like, dude, it's like a different movie. Yeah. And it really is. It's a completely different Laurie Strode journey. Yeah. And well, then the endings are completely different. Yeah. Whereas Rob Zombie's first Halloween in 2007 was focused primarily on Michael and Michael's origin, uh-huh. this movie is the story of Laurie and from primarily her POV, and the theatrical cut presents a completely different Lori right. than the director's cut. And it changes what the movie feels like it's about. Because I think a lot of people who are familiar with the director's cut would assume this is about PTSD, yeah, trauma. I know that gets old to keep saying that kind of stuff with horror, but the theatrical cut, there really isn't as much of that there. True. And not a r- very realistic portrayal of it. They try to make her seem very likable still and... I don't think that's the point at all. So I did not see this in the theater. I can't even remember the first time I actually did watch it, but I can remember being in the theater and seeing a trailer for it and really wanting to see it. But the initial reviews and seeing people that I knew react to it, so poor. (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess this is just not worth watching. Well, to be fair... I wouldn't have recommended it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think the theatrical cut was very good. I didn't have a positive feeling about it. I think that the only way you're really going to appreciate this film, Halloween 2, is to throw away any preconceived notions yeah. of what you think Halloween movies should be like, Michael Myers should be like, or horror movies should be like. It, it's a whole unique experience, and it's not perfect. I don't want to get too carried away there's going to be things that i point out that don't work but it's an incredible looking movie there's mm-hmm. shots in this movie that are awesome i think it it might actually be the best looking halloween since the original yeah i just don't understand how anyone could see 
the David Gordon Green trilogy and think that those movies are better than the two Rob Zombie ones. And I'm not even a big fan of the first one. Yeah, yeah. If you want to compare it to a movie we covered earlier this month, I would not say that Rob Zombie is anywhere near as talented as Luca Guadagnino in terms of a filmmaker, but it's the same idea. It's a guy coming in, taking pre-existing material and making it his own, more so in Halloween 2. However, even Halloween 1, he really puts his grindhouse stamp on it. Oh, yeah. But we're getting carried away. Before we get to the Halloween 2, stick to here. Let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod, or if you prefer, you can call it X, whatever you're calling it, at GreatestPod. Please reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read your email on the show. Please send in your tidbits, your personal relationships with movies, especially if you've done a listener request, anything like that. If you'd like a free sticker, you can let us know in either of those two places, and we will get that out to you. As always, please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You never know when a month like Greatest October is going to come along where the episodes come out on different days all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> make sure you're subscribed. They'll download automatically. There you and go. We'll make help it easy. Download numbers stay consistent. Keep it simple. <laughs> and please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts when you get a chance. And finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. This episode will probably be a little longer, and there will be plenty of clips, and it's a little self-indulgent. We have some stupid segments set up at the end that are supposed to be funny, but the reasoning is I'm turning 40 in a little over a week. This is basically my birthday episode, I've decided, so I'm allowing myself to be self-indulgent and go crazy for a movie that has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes (laughs) or whatever it is. (laughs) Halloween 2 was released in 2009. We are, of course, covering the director's cut. I know that you probably already heard me say that several times, but I just want to make sure because... Is that clear? If you've only seen the theatrical one, we're going to be saying things that do not happen in that movie, and it's different. I just want everyone to know. Written and directed by Rob Zombie, based on characters by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. This is the 10th installment of the franchise. The budget was $15 million. The box office, $39.4 million. Not really a, a big hit. If you have not already seen Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 and would like to watch it now or rewatch it, okay. I can't imagine there's going to be a ton of people rewatching it <laughs> for the purposes of listening to this podcast. We might convince some people. Yeah, well, I think we did maybe for Suspiria. Yeah. There's some people out there willing to give things another try after we say it. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> We're influencers now. <laughs> Oh, God. The theatrical cut is streaming for free on Peacock and Sling, which leads you into USA Network, Sci-Fi. I think it's on some of those places. And the director's cut, I think, is a streaming rental only now. The biggest difference in the way to tell is the runtime. The runtime of the theatrical cut is an hour and 45 minutes. The director's cut is an hour and 59 minutes. The biggest difference is just trims to Lori's character. Just trims. Yeah, really. Significant trims, I'd say. They just cut out sections that really establish where her headspace is and what type of person she's turned into. Every time she has an outburst, it's cut out in the theatrical. (laughs) I know, basically. (laughs) And they add stuff in, too, which is also very strange, to make her seem more sympathetic. So there's a lot of things we have to cover, I guess, 
when talking about Halloween 2 because it's it, sort of like if you listen to the uncut episodes of this show like when you're just like flipping out on me for talking <laughs> <laughs> but then you cut that out <laughs> yeah it makes it seem like we're nice yeah. to each other and friends <laughs> Halloween 2 is a sequel to a remake but not a remake itself i think that's important in setting up right at the beginning this is not a remake of the original halloween 2 from 1981 agreed but i will say when i originally saw the trailer for this it was a lot of shots of the stuff that you see at the beginning of the movie Lori in the hospital right and it seemed like that's what it was gonna be exactly that was more of your straightforward michael myers halloween movie and they wanted to make it seem like the whole movie was that yeah because obviously there's gonna be some trepidation when a filmmaker attempts something like Halloween 2 or even David Gordon Green's Halloween Ends. Right. When you think outside the box with this franchise horror stuff, people get a little uneasy because they know that the fans aren't going to be happy. Let's get back in that box. Yeah. I was comfortable in the box. We need to be back in that box where we were making hundreds of millions (laughs) of dollars. (laughs) Although Rob Zombie's Halloweens were not making hundreds of millions. I think his first one only made 80-something. So this is a pretty big drop-off. But then again, prior to the modern age of where we are now, I don't know that any of the Halloween movies made like a ton of money. I think that David Gordon Green's first one was by far the highest grossing by a million percent. I don't know that any Halloween movie had made over a hundred million or anything like that. Maybe H2O. I don't know. I don't know. Seems unlikely though. But it can get confusing, I guess is my point. This is a sequel to a remake but not a remake itself. There's a whole bunch of different fucking timelines, which we'll get to later. We've covered it already in the Give Us a Second on the Halloween franchise, but we'll review it very briefly right before we get into the plot. The only other movie this is connected to, though, is the 2007 Halloween directed by Rob Zombie. I feel like Halloween 2 is his best film by far. I think House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects are decent. Mm -hmm. His first Halloween... Same. Probably a little less Yeah, than Devil's Rejects. Maybe more comparable to House of a Thousand Corpses. Like a C-plus or something. I don't know. Sure. Then Halloween 2, to me, stands out as this bizarre artistic masterpiece <laughs> that goes to a whole other level of cinematography, a yeah. whole other level of psychology. And then after this, garbage. I do sort of like Lords of Salem. I like the first 45 minutes okay. or so of Lords of Salem. It gets a little yeah. stupid at a certain point. I actually haven't even watched his more recent stuff. Three from Hell, which was a continuation of the Devil's yeah. Reject storyline, sucks. Yeah. I hated it. And I like those first two movies, so that's kind of a bummer to just have something be that bad. I never saw 31. Same. And I never saw The Munsters, although I've seen enough of it to know that I don't need to see it. <laughs> Aside from that... Is there anything else? There probably was one other one somewhere in there, you would think. I would think, but I don't know what it is. This film, though, I think marked an end of an era, not just for Rob Zombie, but we'll get into it in a minute, but he had a falling out with the Weinsteins. I think this is the last movie he does for Dimension. Dimension itself, I don't know, existed after this, really. That's a good point. And that grindhouse torture porn era, which I mostly do not like, but this movie kind of fits in aesthetically. This seems like the end of that that era that maybe started in 03 with the Texas Chainsaw yeah. remake 
and continued on for a while with Eli Roth and the whole thing. And I think this is the end of it. After this, it was a vibe shift to something else in horror. You didn't really have a lot of movies that looked or felt like this anymore. True. That's why Rob Zombie's more recent films, I don't even know if they get theatrical releases. Yeah, I'm not sure. I wouldn't follow it close enough to know. <laughs> you only follow his music career. Oh, yeah. Closely. Which I, I think is really only ever one big song that he ever had. Well, White Zombie had a few big songs. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. True. What do you think of Dragula? Yeah. What about Living Dead Girl? Oh, that's true. I think it was one big album. Yeah. For solo stuff. I don't know. I was never really into that scene. Well, same here. I don't even think Rob Zombie is his real name. <laughs> I'm guessing not. You know what it is? I actually know what it is. What? Brad Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I stole that joke. That was a Joe DeRosa joke, oh. but I thought it was really good. <laughs> Let's get into our history with this film. I saw it in the theater. Didn't like it. Moved on. But as I mentioned, it always stuck in my head. There was some really cool shots in it that I even remarked upon even in 2009 when I really wasn't thinking that much about that kind of stuff. But moved on with my life. I would have told you that Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 was among the worst of the franchise. Definitely worse than his first one. Not as bad as 6 or Resurrection or anything like that, but towards the bottom of the barrel. Then we moved in together in 2014 as lovers. (laughs) That just sounded weird, as roommates. And I remember the apartment on Sarah Street watching this movie and making it about, I don't know, halfway through the hospital sequence and just saying, I can't do this. (laughs) Not even really giving it an honest effort. And there was a few other attempts, Yeah, maybe with you, maybe by myself. I thought there was a, a Harkham screening, too. Probably. Did we make it all the way through? Hard to say. And then I kept hearing about it. I kept reading different people's thoughts on it. And I started to allow myself to get out of the mindset of what I needed a Halloween movie to be like. And it's a subject that comes up a lot on this show, but I think expectations... It plays such a big part in how you feel about a movie. I know that that's not across the board. There's some movies where you have no expectations at all, and you love them or you hate them or whatever. But especially with pre-established franchises, sequels, trilogies, continuations, reboots, remakes, you're bringing in baggage. Like You can't help it. And when I saw this movie and realized that the hospital sequence is a dream that goes on for 25 minutes, and then Michael Myers is stabbing people seven or eight times, and there's yeah. no score. The Right. That's the thing. The absence of the score gives it this very cold feel. When he's doing those stabbings, there's no feeling to it as a viewer. Yeah. You're not scared. You're worn down. You're almost like, this is stupid. It's gross, but it's not as gross as straight-up torture porn, so you're not even getting that sadistic element out of it. You're just sort of watching it thinking, well, clearly this person's dead. I don't need to see him stab him five more times. And and if you are a Halloween fan, I think it's like sort of weird going into this with this douchebag version of Loomis that now I'm very into. But Yeah, because you have to... I've heard people go on a rant about this, about how they hate that, and I think I get it, but you're just bringing... Yeah, right. You're not thinking of this as its own thing. This is its own movie. I don't even really consider this a continuation from 07 anymore. This is just its own movie now to me. I still think of it as a continuation from 07. 
Well, you can. Okay. I'm just saying, because I so rarely want to watch 07. Well, I yeah. just put this on, and then, because now I'm at a point, we skipping ahead in the story, <laughs> I think a few years ago, I finally got on the same wavelength with this movie and clicked with it, and now it's one of my favorite Halloween movies. I watch it every year, and I have a genuine excitement re-entering the world every time I watch it. Because I think the world that is created post-hospital sequence is incredible. I think everything that didn't work for me kind of works for me now. Yeah. Things that I didn't like, I, I like now. I like that it's a different Haddonfield. It's rural. I like the changes in Laurie's character. I like that she's unlikable. I like that she's actually portraying someone struggling mightily with mental illness in the aftermath of an unspeakable horrific event where her friends and parents or at least one of her friends is killed and then her parents are killed and right i can say for me you've been pushing this narrative for a while (laughs) i have to push narratives on these things now i was able to go into this viewing now i watched it three times (laughs) completely normal (laughs) in a short amount of time but i guess watching it with a little more analytical eye had me feel different but i was able to be completely open to what it was and i wasn't finding myself bothered by the things that bothered me in the past first couple viewings of this by the third person that he's just stabbing countless times yeah i can't even watch this but i I didn't feel that way at all anymore like it just doesn't bother me now yeah you kind of have to get used to that and accept it i still would change that and get rid of it i still don't like it i don't think it's a highlight the michael myers stuff is not great at times. And I think you have to just really separate yourself from this being a slasher horror movie that is supposed to be scary. Because other than some minor little jump scares, there's not really anything remotely scary about this movie. As not really suspenseful. No. Maybe some creepy parts. Yeah. But not much. It's more a psychological drama that's yeah. fucked up and dark agreed with violence in it there's definitely a difference between violence and scares for sure this is more of a violent movie yes than a scary movie it allows then for the viewer to take a more analytical literary approach to michael myers and think of it more in a symbolic way i know that that's not exactly what's happening in the movie but you can step back from it and stop thinking of everything so literally. This is definitely a movie that's asking you to stop thinking literally about a franchise that is pretty literal all the way through. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of elevated, quote-unquote, horror going on in the Halloween franchise, but this movie definitely flirts with that, even though I don't know that Rob Zombie even would have thought of it like that or would have been familiar with these ideas because the idea of elevated horror as something that people were really pushing as a genre is definitely not even no, he was remotely a, on the radar yet. Ahead of the game on that front. I think that it's highly ambitious. I think that there is a, a combination of the elevated horror vibe with slasher elements, grindhouse elements, and torture porn elements all swirling together in a psychological movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. Very quickly, for those of you not familiar rob zombie's first halloween essentially follows the story of the 1978 original except it gives you way more michael myers backstory it's a michael myers movie 
for the for like the first half of it. Yeah, way too much. Yeah. I rewatched it in preparation for this episode, and every time I watch it, including as recently as last year or a couple years ago, I'm always blown away by how long it takes before you actually see Lori and her friends. It's I do like crazy. I do like the stuff with Lori and her friends in that one, though. Yeah, but there's just, not that much. Right, it's I know. It's so minimal in a movie that's way longer than the original because there's just so much Michael stuff. And it's a movie that just makes you feel bad. Yes, that's true. Where this movie does too, I'm not going to say Halloween 2 doesn't, but there's more of a payoff in that it's actually really good to me. Whereas in Halloween, it's not as good and it also makes you feel like shit. I know. So you kind of just are bummed out by the end. For example, when Michael kills that bully in the woods, mm-hmm. at first you might think, oh, it's like the end of Let Me In or something where it's awesome that a bully's getting killed, but it's it just goes on forever and it's so grim and I brutal. Know. It's a scene where any potential fucked up joy that you could have squeezed out of it as a viewer living vicariously thinking about your own bully or something is gone because yeah. it's just so fucked up and depressing. Well, and I think what we enjoy about horror movies, not to say that they all need to be campy, but I think when you get into that supernatural, this doesn't feel like real life. Yeah. You're able to enjoy it a little bit more. And look, not every movie needs to be enjoyed. Some of it is going to be disturbing and still very good. But I feel like with Halloween, you want to be able to have some fun. Yeah. Although I would argue that Halloween 2 also does not have any fun. But (laughs) I think at that point, you're willing to move away from what you think a Halloween movie should be. I agree. Yeah, it is grim. Yeah, you really have to separate yourself from all previous iterations of Halloween, which is hard to do. And I'm not expecting all of the audience to really want to do that or care enough to do it. But I think to really appreciate the movie, you're going to have to just forget about all of that. Yeah. (laughs) For the original film in 2007, I saw that movie twice in the theater And then I don't believe I watched it on DVD or Blu-ray until we watched it, probably around the first time we tried to watch Halloween 2. So I was completely shocked to discover... The rape stuff? The differences in the director's cut of Halloween. Now, the only reason I'm pointing any of this out is to basically say, as far as Rob Zombie Halloween movies go, the original is the complete opposite of 2, whereas the theatrical cut of Halloween is way better. Mm-hmm. I don't need it to go down into those grindhouse roads of having random rapes. Rapes between characters that don't even factor into anything. I know. I don't know what he was thinking with some of that shit in that movie, but okay. Yeah, so I think to this day I've still only ever seen the director's cut because I bought the DVD when it came out not seeing it in the theater. I had watched that DVD that I owned multiple times. I still don't think to this day now I've ever seen. I actually have a set that includes both directors and theatricals for both. So I do yeah. have it now, but I think the theatrical cut was pretty much unavailable for a long time. Right. I think they only released the unrated one for some reason. I just remember in those early days, Keith telling me about it because he did see the theatrical cut and he liked it more. He was specifically calling out that whole rape sequence not being in it to me, and he's like, the stuff that they did instead was definitely better. Yeah. I I think the theatrical cut is superior, although it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I don't know. Similar vibe, Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, to Halloween Ends from 2022. But in my opinion, 
Rob Zombie's version is far more successful at accomplishing what these movies are setting out to do, which is portraying the aftermath, coming out of the movie for a minute and thinking, what would it really be like if something like that happened? What would the aftermath be like? And I think David Gordon Green was trying to do that with Halloween Ends. It just really wasn't very effective. and I didn't think so. Didn't fully work. I liked it. You'll well. We'll get to our updated power rankings. Yeah. I liked it more than Halloween Kills, but me too. It didn't quite. I don't have it far ahead on my list. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Well, our <laughs> list might actually be kind of similar. I don't know, but yeah, I just think that in terms of PTSD trauma, generational trauma for an entire town, because that's what's cool too. We haven't even gotten into it yet. Such a big part of this film is Annie versus Lori and comparing and contrasting what they're going through and their friendship and their relationship. The strain of it all. The love, the hate, the bitter reminder, but not understanding that the entire time Lori is slowly going insane. Right. And there's really nothing that any of the characters in this film seem to be able to do about it. They're not equipped to understand what she's going through because there is more of a a hereditary factor, I think, at least as far as Rob Zombie's thinking goes. It's in the family. Yeah, he thinks that there's a familial connection between Michael and Lori, and that's where he's going with it. For me, I don't even need that. I just think that in the aftermath of what happened to her, that this could be her behavior, that it doesn't have to be anything that she was born with. I don't know. I think either way is fine. I think it would be understood if anyone was never the same person after experiencing something like this. For Halloween 2, Zombie decided to focus more on the connection between Strode and Myers and the idea that they share similar psychological problems. He wanted the sequel to be more realistic and violent than his 2007 predecessor and to portray how the events of the first film affected the characters. Zombie also wanted to provide a glimpse into each character's psyche. Filming primarily took place in Georgia, which provided Zombie with a tax incentive as well as the visual look he was going for. As the shooting location for this film was moved because the first film was shot in California, Zombie and the film crew had to work around shooting this film in gloomy and humid weather, which was very unpredictable. The script had to constantly be altered to accommodate sudden rainstorms, sometimes forcing shooting to be indoors. The hospital scene, for example, where Lori makes it out to a rain-soaked parking lot was not scripted, and the rain wasn't stage rain, it was real weather. I mentioned it before. I like the ever-evolving, now rural Haddonfield. Yeah. I really enjoy the shots in town, too. I love A lot of the exterior shots in this movie are pretty cool for establishing the mood and vibe. Even the house that Sheriff Brackett and the girls live in, which kind of seems like out in the country now. Yeah. But when they're back in town, that main street, like the circle, yeah. like the shop that they work at. I love the locations in this movie. The strip club is great. Just I know. Like it isolated. looks cool. This is probably the most rural Haddonfield has looked since Halloween 4, which was shot in Utah, I believe, Mm -hmm. and also had kind of a very rural, small-town look to it. Whereas when they film in California, it's kind of hard. It always looks like the suburbs. There's not really a small-town feel to it. I think this new Haddonfield in Halloween 2 reflects an emptiness inside the film's protagonist. It's a visualization of her damaged psyche, which we talked about a little bit with don't look now and sometimes elements right hitchcock did it where the physical surroundings replicate what's going on with the character yeah there's a very desolate feel to the locations sometimes it doesn't work 
they filmed the original Pet Cemetery, I think, in Maine, and then the sequel was in Georgia or something, and you can tell that it's completely different, mm-hmm. and you're trying to recapture the same places, and it's not exactly the same, and that never really comes up in this movie. I think it all works for some reason. I don't know why. Talking about the weather stuff, though, I did listen to Rob Zombie's audio commentary. Not as much him pontificating about the themes and the meaning, a lot of him talking about things that were a pain in the ass making this movie. (laughs) I think all of his audio commentaries are kind of like that. Yeah. And I know that this movie was a, a troubled shoot, and we'll get into some of it. In 2008, at the 30 Years of Terror convention, Halloween franchise producer Malik Akkad confirmed that a sequel to Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007 was in the works. Despite Julianne Mari and Alexandra Bastillo being in negotiations to direct the sequel in November 2008, Zombie reprised as both director, writer, and producer. In an interview, Zombie expressed how the exhaustion of creating the predecessor made him not want to come back for a sequel, but after a year of cooling down, he was more open to the idea. He explained that with the sequel, he was no longer bound by a sense of needing to retain any, quote, John Carpenter-ness, as he felt free to do whatever, Akkad said the original intention when they believed Zombie was not returning was to create a, quote, normal sequel. <laughs> okay. Akkad and his Trankus International Films producing company hired various writers to come up with drafts for a new film, but none worked. Akkad and Harvey and Bob Weinstein then turned to Bastillo and Mari, whose film Inside from 2007 had been bought for distribution by the Weinstein Company. According to Akkad, the producers really wanted Zombie to return as Akkad felt that there was something lost in translation when the new duo took over the project. After his work on the 2007 remake, Zombie had earned the trust of Akkad, who told him to ignore any rules they had set for him on the previous film. Akkad said that he wanted Zombie to move the franchise away from some of its established rules. His father had a list of prerequisites as rules for Halloween sequels that filmmakers had to follow if they were to direct an installment, one of the most famous ones being Michael Myers Can Never Die, and Malik Akkad gave Zombie permission to ignore those rules and do whatever he wanted, which is why Michael Myers is supposed to be dead in the original ending of the film, which I think he kind of is in both versions. Yeah, I think so. And I like that it actually kind of stays in this one, too, because while there are other Halloween movies after this, it's not a continuation of this story. Yeah, this is the end. Yep. It's funny, though, going along, because just like many other viewers, I had a lot of criticisms of this movie and was not into it. But as I go on with these viewings now, like things that originally I did not like, now I like. Yeah, like I, I, I did, feel the same way. I didn't like that this starts off with a hospital sequence that ends up being a dream. Now I like that he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start the movie off making people think it's going to be something. I'll give you a little bit of your traditional Halloween. Didn't really happen. Yeah, because the first 25 minutes of this movie do feel like a sequel to the first film. Yes, agreed. And it does pick up very similarly to the way that the original Halloween 2 does, where it's a continuation right at the moment the last one ends. We pick it right up. And, like, if you had microphones on me at all times, there was certainly a part of my life where I would have been bitching, like, this was so dumb. I can't believe he did this this way. Now I'm like, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tastes change. Yeah. Now I think 
as I am almost 40 years old, you can start to see the limitations of doing the entire movie that way. And we're going to get to our power rankings in a bit, but I prefer this to the original Halloween 2 by a lot. I think the original Halloween 2 is kind of boring. Yeah. I There's think I like that one more than you it. do, but. No, I know that yeah. you do, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the Halloween sequels go, it's middle of the pack, but yeah. we'll get there. This was a troubled production plagued by incessant studio interference leading to a falling out between Zombie and the Weinsteins. Zombie has essentially disowned his Halloween work, citing that interference. One egregious example was when two weeks of shooting were slashed from the schedule on the first day of filming, forcing Zombie to tear out pages of the script that he would no longer be able to film. Then Halloween 2 was originally scheduled to be appropriately released on Halloween of 2009 to capitalize on the holiday, but it was abruptly pushed forward two months ahead of time in August for theatrical release. I do remember it being a summer. Although, in all fairness, so was the original. Yeah. This compromised the post-production schedule as it slashed a few weeks out of the editor's schedule, not giving them enough time to edit the film properly, plus significant differences between the director's vision and the theatrical cut, which we'll get into at the end, but they forced a lot of changes because kind of to go along with those rules from the Akkad family, clearly the Weinsteins did not want this to be definitively the end in case it was a huge hit, which it wasn't, but you never know. Right. In addition to the studio interference that compromised production, Rob Zombie also strongly suspected that crew members were actually stealing money from the film's production budget. Oh, boy. Seems like a real professional operation going on down there in Georgia. Rob Zombie had never intended to make a sequel, and to make sure one couldn't be made, he had Laurie fatally shoot Michael Myers at point-blank range in the face in the first film to officially kill him off. However, because the film was a huge financial success, relative. Huge is a bit of a stretch. What was the budget? I think it was 15, 10 or 15, and made like 80-something. Yeah. Dimension Films greenlit a sequel against Zombie's wishes. He begrudgingly came back to direct so that nobody else could ruin his vision. This resulted in a plot hole, as there's no explanation in this film for how Michael survived such fatal injuries without immediate medical attention, especially because in the Rob Zombie versions, Michael is supposed to be human with no supernatural elements. That may be true, but once you do have him shot in the face at point-blank range, you can't help but have the audience suspect that there's something supernatural at play. Uh, yeah. It doesn't really bother me because it's Halloween. I guess that's part of the fun of working within this franchise. Even when you want to change everything, you get the benefit of it being, well, it's Halloween. Of course he's going to be alive. Of the things I've had complaints about, that was never a sticking point for me. It's just, look, the, the other movie ended, and this one started, and he's not dead. <laughs> Well, part of it was I accept it. interpreting that he was never in this movie in the first place, which we'll get to at the very end. But you have a very different way of thinking coming out of that theatrical cut where you're thinking, was Michael Myers ever even in the movie? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> or was this a Friday the 13th part five situation? Yeah. I warned Matt ahead of time that this was going to be a long episode. So now as he's holding his head in his hands and We're good. freaking out. You're the one that has to edit it. I think we still have time for a quick Halloween timelines review. <laughs> okay, good. Everyone's which favorite. I did not write out, Okay, so it might get confusing because I'm going to be doing this from my head. Mm-hmm. But let's start in 1978. Yes. There's a film called Halloween. Okay. The first timeline would be 
with multiple branches now. One, two, four, five, six. Okay. That's one timeline that ends with six. That timeline ends there and has never been picked back up. Okay. A different timeline that comes from the first film yeah. would be one, two, H2O, yes. Resurrection. Right. That timeline ends with Resurrection and has not been picked back up. Starting back in 1978 again. Then you have <laughs> Halloween skipping to and going all the way to David Gordon Green's, which are only sequels of the first one. So then you have 2018 Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends all connected back to the first film. Then you have Halloween 3, which is not a part of the universe of the initial film because Halloween is a commercial That's right. in Halloween 3. So technically it is part of the universe. As a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's not real. Right. I'm saying the it's events. It's not part of the story. The events yeah. of it aren't a part of the universe. Then you have Rob Zombie's one and two. And they are on an island similarly to three. Yeah. Where they exist only in their own world. Now, I believe that covers it. I think so. Because four, five, and six are only connected to one and two. And then everything else is either on its own or somehow connected back to one or some about connected back to one and two in the case of H2O and yes. Resurrection. So I think that clarifies it a little bit. We've already sort of mentioned that none of the other Halloween films really factor into this, but in case you were wondering. Since we're only worrying about Zombies 2007 remake of the John Carpenter original, let's start there. That film ends after a long, excruciating final battle between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers that culminates with Laurie shooting Michael in the head at point-blank range. Laurie's parents were murdered, as was her friend Linda, but Annie survives in Zombies Remake, unlike the Carpenter original, as does Annie's father, Sheriff Brackett. He survives in the original as well, but they both factor so much into this movie. Right. I figured I needed to point that out. Yeah, actually, like, Brad Dorff has a big role in this movie yeah he's definitely one of the leads and he's great in it i think so too halloween 2 essentially picks up right where halloween leaves off save for a brief detour back in time once again we are covering the director's cut the first words on the screen are a definition provided from a textbook when it comes to white horses i believe in dreams potentially right white horse Linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction, excerpt from the subconscious psychosis of dreams. So we have sort of a David Lynch tie-in here. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. There's a Lynchian influence on Halloween, too. I think so. Dreams, white horses, come on, it's all there. The ensuing chaos and destruction definitely fits with Michael Myers. Do you like your present? Yeah. What's wrong, Michael? It reminds me of something. What? What does it remind you of? A dream that I had last night. What kind of dream? Was it a good dream or was it a bad dream? It was a good dream, a really good dream. You were dressed in all white, like a ghost, like a really beautiful ghost. You were walking down this white hallway with this big white horse, saying you were gonna come and take me back home. Mm. I wish I could take you home, honey. I miss you there. 
miss you too. Hmm. Whenever you look at the horse, you can think of mommy, okay? Okay. Okay. Are you ticklish? No. I forgot. I thought you were. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. That's the face I want to see. Okay? Tear yeah. up. All right. Okay, no more gloom. Okay. Okay. During his time in Smith's Grove Sanitarium, a young Michael Myers is visited by his mother, Deborah, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, who gives him a white horse statuette as a gift. Daig Ferch filmed scenes reprising his role of young Michael Myers, but was replaced and the scenes reshot after it became apparent that Ferch had noticeably grown up since the last installment and no longer oh. looked the same age. I didn't realize this was a different kid. It took me a while to realize that too, although watching them in close I proximity. I did think about it though because I was like, it seems like he would look older. Yeah, just because of what we know about. He actually him. looks younger in two than he looks like in one. Okay, I think they found a kid that seems smaller or yeah. something. Yeah, I didn't notice until years later. It mm-hmm. took a long time because I wasn't really thinking about it when I right, saw right. Halloween two the first time. It wasn't like I was really up on Halloween the first one. Though the film opens with an explanation for the meaning of Michael's toy white horse, and it frequently appears alongside his mother in the hallucinations, Rob Zombie has said it doesn't really have any deeper meaning than what is already established in the film to counter the many fan theories trying to explain its significance. The toy horse is simply a representation of Michael's lost innocence and nothing more, as it's a toy from his once happy childhood. According to Zombie, he picked a white horse as it was more cinematic and that it really could have been anything else instead, including a toy fire truck engine. Hmm. Zombie sometimes seems like he likes to have his cake and eat it too, where sometimes he acts as if Michael Myers is inherently evil, and then sometimes he acts as if Something he's created a yeah. nurture version of Michael Myers, because that's what the first movie feels like. Absolutely. Whereas Carpenter's is straight nature. They never insinuate there's anything in Michael's young life that would cause him to do this. Right. But zombie takes the opposite approach yeah, where you're like, a, yeah, it seems normal that he like, would do this. I was going to say a broken home, but it's even worse than that. It's like a disastrous home. <laughs> yeah, that dude, the mom's boyfriend, yeah. commenting on the daughter's oh, ass. Right. Holy shit, that scene. Even in rewatching Halloween for this podcast the other day, I was, holy shit. 2007 was a wild time. Oh, I'd say so. The fact that Rom Zombie had several films that were theatrical at all is an indication of how different movies were back then. I know. Very raw compared to what you're seeing in the theaters now. Uh, I'd say so. I guess it should be pointed out that young Michael is portrayed by Chase Wright Vanek in this film. He does appear throughout it in the hallucinations. Then we jump to 15 years later. In the aftermath of shooting her masked attacker, Laurie Strode, played by Scout Taylor Compton, wanders a deserted and rainy Haddonfield in the wee hours after Halloween night. She is covered head to toe in blood and in shock. Her masked attacker, an older Michael Myers, played by Tyler Maine, appears to be dead. Sheriff Lee Brackett, as mentioned, played by Brad Dorif, father of her best friend Annie, played by Daniel Harris, which we'll talk more about later who was also attacked and survived, finds Lori 
and takes her to the hospital. This movie, much like all of Zombies' work, with the possible exception of the monsters, since that was PG, really emphasizes a lot of the painful, unpleasant brutality. The scenes of her being prepped for surgery are gross. Yeah, pulling metal out from under her fingertip. The way that they're sewing the wound on her face. Yeah, it's And just pulling her skin. (laughs) A lot of blood and guts, a lot of gory surgery details. But I think that's a big part of his point, is the horror of what her and really her and Annie experienced. Yes. Even though it's not a story about Annie. Right, but I do think their relationship is a big part of the story. Agreed. How there are different ways of processing grief and trauma and how the fact that they've processed these things very differently has pulled them apart. Yeah, it's put a big strain on their relationship. Not too dissimilar from the married couple in Don't Look Now. That's right. Honestly. Yeah. One of Laurie's surgeons is Caroline Williams, cameoing in the film as Dr. Maple. She plays Stretch in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Rob Zombie is a big fan of that film and the franchise and asked her to be in the film. Bill Mosley is in almost all of his movies. Not in this one, which we'll get to later. He's from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Seems like a big favorite. I'll just say that that's going to be a little physical media spotlight tease for me. Okay. Meanwhile, the paramedics pick up Annie Brackett and Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Sam Loomis, played by Malcolm McDowell, who have both survived being attacked by Michael and take them to the hospital as well. All of this stuff in the aftermath is very reminiscent of the final chapter. It's a unique way to open a horror film. Ambulances, police, bodies being loaded up. It's a strange way to enter the story. Yeah. It only really makes sense in horror franchises unless you're inverting a normal story or something. Something horrible happened here. Michael's eventual escape is a little bit reminiscent of Halloween 4 as well. True. Although they're transporting him. For some reason, aren't they transporting him in an ambulance at the beginning of 4, even though they're just moving him from one hospital to another? Even the, Not like a, a, well, his, like a psychiatric hospital. I mean. Yeah. His death in this one is sort of similar, too. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Something to that. There's some echoes of a lot of horror films in this. Yeah. I didn't write them all down, but yeah. You do notice little things like that from Mm -hmm. not only the Halloween franchise, but some of the other notable franchises as well, especially Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. Because I think this whole sequence with Buddy coming up, doesn't that feel like the scene in Texas Chainsaw? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Where she's waiting at the door, and she doesn't know if he's going to come back. and It feels exactly like it, really. Michael's body, along with Linda's, is taken away in a different ambulance. The corner men distract themselves with their own appalling necrophile <laughs> fantasies, starring well, the it's... recently departed and totally nude Linda. Yeah. Causing an accident when the meat wagon hits a cow in the middle of the road. Definitely think it's one person pushing this more than the other <laughs> well the other guy's got a joke though. yeah <laughs> in fact i completely forgot i wanted to kick off the podcast asking what the difference between <laughs> jelly and jam is <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ yikes that's a recurring motif we saw that also in the final chapter oh yeah but there are plenty of 80s b horror movies where that's a joke i don't know <laughs> How many times has a coroner actually fucked a corpse? Probably way more than you'd want to think. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think gets into that line of work? (laughs) Enough that everyone's got a joke about it. 
Son of a bitch was heavy, huh? Six guys to lift one stiff. That's one for the books. Technically, five guys and a girl. Whatever. Hey. Did you get a look at the naked chick? Man, she was F-I-N-E-5. <laughs> yeah, she still looked fresh. <laughs> yeah. I heard a story about a couple of meat wagon boys fucking corpses over in Essence. I ain't never had the urge till tonight. Oh, whoa, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, come on, crack it. Even thinks he has you joking about that and then you're out of here on your ass. I wouldn't never do it. Huh? I'm just saying. She still look good to me. Nice old titties are hanging out. Huh? Come I, on, that's disgusting. Stop it. Now. I got wood just zip locking her up. Stop. Shut up. Please. Hey. Huh? What's the difference between jam and jelly? I don't know. What? You can't jelly your cock up a dead girl's ass. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, cow! What? Cow! No! Michael awakens after the ambulance crashes, kills off the assistant coroner in a brutal fashion by decapitating him and then carrying his head. It's completely insane. I actually think this is kind of a cool part, though, that the way that zombie chose to have this action happen like the fact that there's just a cow in the middle of the road yeah like i think that's a cool idea just an accident like these guys caught up in whatever fucking horrific conversation they're having but then to have the one dude just be like cow what cow (laughs) slam into it but again also adding to the very rural vibe and it's poetic justice that they bring it on themselves by saying some fucked up shit right although in all fairness to the main corner guy who dies in the car accident his did seem like a joke. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't know. Because he seemed pretty horrified when the other guy brought it up. Yeah. But maybe he just felt like he had to in case the other guy was joking. <laughs> it reminded me of, you know, like our types of conversations <laughs> where I start off horrified and then you kind of wear me down. And, and then, then you I'm make a joke yeah. and then I act like that was way too far. Yeah. <laughs> Michael then spots an image of his mother dressed all in white like an angel or a ghost standing next to a white horse, seemingly beckoning Michael to follow. Visually stunning all the way through. Lori in the streets at the beginning is really cool looking. Michael in the night yeah, with the moon over top of his shoulder as he's about to kill this guy and then holding his head and walking in the street. It all looks incredible to me. Now, do you take it that this part is all just part of the dream? No. You So you think this really happened? Yeah. And Michael walks away. It's a good thing you brought this up now. Because it would be weird that Lori's dreaming about the horse <laughs> and <laughs> the mom. Well, or would it? I don't know, because I guess that does seem like part of it throughout, too. However, I think that this is real, because it's referenced later that they don't know where the body is. So right. at some point, the body disappears... You would think that if there was a terrible accident and a decapitated head and the body is missing, then people would think he's alive. But I wouldn't worry about that kind of stuff with this movie. (laughs) And frankly, we didn't get to the reveal of it being a dream yet. I kind of think that the dream logic works the same way as Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. 
some of it's real and some of it's not real. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of have to accept the dream makes things questionable, let's right. say. You're not sure what's real. I think Michael wanders in a direction being led off by his ghost mom because his ghost mom realizes that he's going to need to take time to recover and get back to this big moment that they're building to. So she's actually leading him away, and he he's obviously going to go live off the land. Yeah, for a while. doesn't go to the hospital. Yeah, this is where it switches to being a dream is when you see her in the hospital. However, you could interpret it that some of what happens at the hospital is actually real. That she was attacked again. I don't think that's really how you can think of it, but you can come up with all different ways to oh, view sure. it if you want. Okay, or all of it's a dream, or Michael Myers is not real in the movie, or. Michael Myers did attack her for a second time, but then maybe the part where she gets to the bodies being in the dumpster is a dream. I don't know. Who knows? I think that starting at this moment when he walks towards Sherry Moon Zombie and the horse, that's ending real. And then once it picks up in the hospital, that's the dream. Yeah. Shout out to Brandon Trost, the DP on this film. Him and Zombie together. I don't know what was going on. It's so unlike other zombie movies. And... It's unlike other Brandon Trost movies. He's a guy who's had a lot of work, but it's mostly comedies, things like This is the End and oh, yeah. a lot of Rogan stuff with Seth Rogen. So I don't know. They must have just got inspired and were like, you know what? We're in Georgia. We're filming on location. We can make this look really cool. Let's just go for it. Well, and they, they found do. a look that works. It's shot on film. It yeah, doesn't yeah. have that horrible digital look, which almost all movies now have. I know, which is very noticeable. I guess casual movie fans, they just like don't care. This leads into an extended Halloween to 1981 style fake out. As we already talked about, you could be convinced that this is the movie. The majority of the first 25 minutes of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 takes place in the hospital with a weak and wounded Lori regaining consciousness and then fleeing from Michael Myers, who has found her there. Octavia Spencer crazy is one of the nurses weird that was an unexpected pop-up well she really wasn't super known until the help which well, i guess a couple that's years true away. yeah her death is absurd it's sort of like gus fring from breaking bad where oh, she's yeah. doing the move where she walks into a room and turns around and you realize that she's like already dead basically right. she's trying to talk and blood is just coming out there's a vacant savagery to all of this and it is off-putting. He stabs Octavia Spencer so many times. And then when Lori is running around the hospital, she finds that eyeless woman in the stairwell. Just yeah, I know. Attached to a gate. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It always has to go so far with things. Just a level of depravity that I don't know that everyone was comfortable with for the Halloween franchise. No. Lori goes to see Annie at one point before Michael gets there. I love how both of them have those old school big black stitches all over their faces. Oh, yeah. Do people even get stitches like that anymore? I think they're mostly like invisible. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that was a conscious decision from Rob Zombie. He well, wanted look, the old school. Some things make for a better theatrical appearance. Lori's got her leg in that giant plastic boot. Oh, yeah. And that all is actually really effective and well done, having her run through the stairwell trying to get down the stairs with Michael at the top of the stairs. She can barely move because of the giant plastic boot. Yeah. And this does seem like it was a pretty intense movie to shoot and be a part of. Yeah, I would say so. And I think the off-camera 
vibes weren't great between the studio and Zombie too, oh, which I'd probably so. led to yeah some stuff. Pretty solid dream manifestation. I was thinking a little bit of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, with Nancy stepping in the gooey steps, which is definitely a dream thing where you're trying to move and you feel like you can't move. Right. And that plays in with the big giant thing on Lori's leg. Finally, she makes it outdoors. It's a torrential downpour. Really excellent-looking shots continuing here. Cool camera angles from down on the sidewalk in the rain and just different interesting things that you don't always see in movies like this. At one point, she comes across a dumpster of dead bodies. That should be your first clue that Mm. this is not real. Yeah. There's another big clue that has to do with the Knights in White Satin. Oh, I was getting there, but yeah, go ahead. Well, just the fact that you're like, how long is this song playing for? (laughs) And on every TV. (laughs) It was on in her room before she even goes to see Annie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let alone, it's still on. Other building, and it's like playing still. And why would it be on? No, I know. It's some black and white performance. These movies are supposed to be set in the present. Yeah. Just some, (laughs) the moody blues playing for hours on TV in black and white. (laughs) As I mentioned earlier, she comes across this parking lot attendant named Buddy, played by Richard Reel, who people would probably remember from Office Space and things like yeah, that. Yeah, recognizable guy that pops up. Yeah, just one of those character actors who's been in 10 million things. It does play out very similarly to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when she gets to the meat store, the gas yeah. station place, and she finds the one guy, and she thinks she's saved, and he goes and gets the car. But you don't know that he's actually part of the fucked up family right. so it, he leaves the door open he's going to get the car it takes forever she's sitting there and it's all this fucking anticipation being built up and in that movie he comes back and everything's fine except of course he's actually evil and then in this movie buddy does come back and he un- he's about to unlock the door and then michael seemingly has just been waiting for his moment i right. guess hits him in the back with an axe <laughs> rough kind of like Sydney Prescott, at a certain point, yeah. should we just give The path of Lori? bodies that have been left now, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Can we just give this guy Lori yeah. and then maybe he'll leave us alone? <laughs> and if you got her, would you be done? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what happens next? What does Michael Myers do without a mission? <laughs> it feels like we've been plunged into the third act of a movie. Right. And then the rug is pulled out from under when you realize that you weren't really... The original Halloween 2 takes place entirely in a hospital. Although the 25-minute dream sequence at the beginning of the film where Laurie is running from Michael in a hospital is initially thought to be an intentional homage to said film, Rob Zombie has since denied this, especially because he has stated that he did not even like the original Halloween 2. As we said, it's all a dream. Laurie wakes up in bed October 29th, two years later. In the theatrical cut, it is one year later. What do you think about that? I like the two years because, A, it's different from most of these other movies. B, it allows everyone to settle back down. Yeah, because they've made it through one year. It's yeah. almost like you're lulling yourself back to a sense of security. Well, it definitely makes Annie's yeah short fuse with Lori make a lot more sense. Right, Agreed. Because she's getting sick of the carrying on. I, granted, it Even is like the m- most fucked up thing that could happen for to somebody. Sure. Her parents are brutally Yeah, murdered. you should probably be allowed. People should be patient with you for the rest of their lives. You but, would think, but you get it, though, because Annie, Annie was also a victim. Right. When you live with it in the same house every day. Yeah. 
But they don't know. The other characters don't know that it's more than just PTSD, though. She's right. literally going insane. True. And they just don't realize that. But going back to what we were saying about coming back to a sense of security about everything. I mean, Annie is very much that way leading up to when her dad is going to leave her on the next Halloween night. She's sort of like, oh, my gosh. Like, why are you going to leave a cop here? Yeah. Everything's fine. Like, everybody's moved on. I do think that she is similar to John in Don't Look Now, though. Yeah. I think there is stuff under the surface. Oh, I agree. She feels like she needs to be the stronger one because I think there's some resentment with Lori because everyone has to be like, oh, poor Lori. Yeah, 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 for sure. And she's almost like the forgotten victim. Right. I do think they love each other. There's a lot to this Annie character. (laughs) No, I think... Why do you think I like this movie so much? I think this movie is really good, and it taps into a lot of stuff that you want to think about. I know. Does it accomplish everything? No. And are there problems with it? Yes. But I think there's a lot of cool stuff in it, and I think they still love each other. I think they are still friends, but... There's a lot of feelings there. Yeah, they should probably not be living with each other. Right. For Annie, I'm sure she would love it if her dad just cared about her. Yeah. But he has this very fatherly protective I don't know that she's Lori. super jealous about that. I think there's a little bit to it though. Maybe. It's definitely part of the bigger thing which yeah. is why does Lori get to revel in her sadness for so long whereas I've done a great job of pulling myself together. But when you look at both of their faces, they both have scars, and mm-hmm. it's obvious they both went through something, but only one of them, at least in Annie's opinion, is trying to be a regular human again. Right. And that bubbles up from time to time. Whereas in the theatrical cut, Annie only seems sympathetic because Lori never seems bitchy and horrible. Yep. We're really early into this, and I know this episode's just going to go on forever, but <laughs> Lori is a bitch. With a capital C, if you know what I mean, oh. sometimes in <laughs> yeah. this movie. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and she I think can be tough to deal with. In a good way, in an artistic way, and in a real way, in a way that allows a woman to be a woman. I'm not being misogynistic. She's being real. That's difficult for the other people to deal with. Sheriff Brackett has a little bit more patience, but Annie has sort of reached her limit because she feels like she's a victim too. But- that is completely stripped from the theatrical cut. So right it's away, movie. one yeah. of the more interesting elements is gone. Her therapy scenes are different. Her freakouts are gone, most of them. Yeah. She does get feisty when she finds out the truth about who her parents were. That fight is still there, but that's an emotional explosion. The other fights are more important because they kind of come out of nothing. That's right. She's sort of an asshole to her therapist. An unhinged one. Yeah. Lori is trying to pick up the pieces, now living with Annie and Sheriff Brackett, as her parents were murdered by Michael in the first film. I like the more rural vibe, the more small-town vibe. The first scene of them all interacting at breakfast is pretty good. It allows you a little window into how they relate to each other, what goes on with them. I'm running ragged this morning. Morning. I'm running ragged. Good morning. Did you hear Lori last night? Yes, Dad. I hear her every night. Please. God, don't say anything to her. Oh, Want some egg whites? Uh, no. I think I'm gonna get me one of them sticky buns on the way in. Oh, that's great. Pastry for breakfast. Seriously, 500 calories of sugar and shit. I know it. I know it. Good morning. Good morning, sunshine. You got two dogs. Hey, slow your roll for one second, please. Do not forget to pick up the pizza and whole wheat crust. God, Annie. Why don't we just have them 
take the cheese and put it on cardboard. I mean, cardboard's got a lot of fiber, and it's cheap. No meat. Rough night? Do you hear me? Mm. Just a little. God, just when I think I can get back to something as simple as sleep, it's like, <clears throat> right back at me. Do you want to tell me about it? Nah. I don't remember much. It's a hospital one. I haven't had one of those in a while. I guess I know what I'll be yakking about in therapy today. One day at a time, babe. One day at a time. One fucking day at a time. You know what, if I hear that fucking phrase one more fucking time, I mean, she just fucking sits there in her fucking leather chair and judges me like she's fucking God. It's her job, Lori. My God. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> Boo fucking who for you? See? You don't fucking care. Right. I don't fucking care. I don't understand, Lori. Oh, nice. Thanks for leaving me some coffee, Dad. How is someone supposed to act now? Like, really? That's what this movie is in a nutshell. How is someone supposed to act after what happened happened? Let's pretend tough. these ridiculous horror movies are real. Well, then what? <laughs> a lot of movies have tried it. Some of them are better than others. I think this one ends up succeeding pretty well. In the unrated director's cut, Lori is much quicker to anger due to her PTSD and gets into arguments with Annie and her psychiatrist. These moments were cut from the theatrical version, presumably to make Lori more likable. I think Scout Taylor Compton is really great in this movie. It's a shame that she hasn't really turned into a bigger star. She no. still acts and stuff, but yeah. mostly in stuff you've I've never seen her heard in of. some crappy horror movies. Yeah. yeah. Although I do love that her and... Daniel Harris are friends in real life and do a podcast together. That is fun. Called Talk Scary to Me, which I've still never listened to, but maybe I like the day. idea of it though. Yeah, I like that it exists. Yeah. I like that they go to cons together and are really friends. Yeah, that's fun. Daniel Harris is sort of the unsung hero of the franchise. She really kept it going for a while once Jamie Lee Curtis moved on to other things. Uh huh. Before Jamie Lee Curtis returned to the franchise, Danielle Harris had been in the second most films after Donald Pleasance with four because she plays Jamie Lloyd, Lori's cousin? Niece. Yeah, something like that. But not blood niece, obviously. Mm -hmm. In Halloween's four, five, and six, although Danielle Harris does not play Jamie Lloyd in six. So she plays Jamie in four and five as a little girl. Yep. And then... The meta casting is brought back to play right. Annie, our favorite character from the original Halloween, originally yeah. played by Nancy Keys, who then survives in Rob Zombie's version to then appear in another movie. We love Danielle Harris. Oh, yeah. What can we say? I always loved her originally as being Darlene's friend on Roseanne. <laughs> <laughs> I always loved those bad friends that girls would have on sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. Those were always my favorite. <laughs> And then she's in Wish Upon a Star, our favorite movie. <laughs> Besides Halloween 2, Wish Upon a Star is our favorite film. She is in a lot of stuff we like. As Lori is Michael's sister, I'm playing it like he's clearly insane and so is she, but her insanity doesn't manifest itself in the same way. She's slipping into insanity throughout the whole movie. That's Rob Zombie describing Lori's psychological state. 
Taylor Compton described her character as having these bipolar moments where her emotions are spontaneously changing from points of happiness to agitation. The actress stated that Zombie wanted to see Laurie Strode travel into these really dark places. Taylor Compton clarified that when the film starts, Laurie is still not aware that Michael is her older brother. And as the film progresses, more and more pieces of information are given to her and she does not know how to deal with them. The actress explained that the darkness brewing inside Laurie is manifested externally, generally through her physical appearance and the clothes she chooses to wear. Zombie characterized the look as grungy. I was explaining to you that I never picked up on that being a big thing in this movie. I thought that the bathroom that we see in the film that is shared by both her and Annie was completely decorated in one fashion, which is crazy, graffiti, posters, weird shit, stickers. The bathroom does seem out of place in the house. But then you realize there actually is a second half to the bathroom. That is normal. Which is a great idea, but that is hard to pick up on. Yeah, it's not shot well. There's actually a sign that says keep your shit on this side or or whatever, indicating that there has been a strain, and Annie is not like Lori. And I didn't realize that for some reason. Maybe because we don't actually see Annie wearing normal clothes a lot of the time. She's wearing a robe in one of her scenes. She's wearing jeans, which whatever. But she does seem like a homebody. Which could be part of what yeah. you know her trauma. But I thought they were both like how Lori is. And now I'm realizing, no, no. Lori has completely changed from who she was two years earlier in the prior film. Well, it She's is really into this yeah. angry metal grungy death metal look it definitely seems clear from the movie that she's gone off with this other group of friends yeah and annie's not really that's not really apparent though in the theatrical cut either because that line where annie says oh is this what your new work friends do that's not in the theatrical that's true because that's part of the big fight anyway it took me a while to realize that Lori is actually physically manifesting i just thought that rob zombie thought all teenage girls could sound and look like him yeah. Because he does kind of make a lot of the characters look like him, including Michael Myers. <laughs> don't you think Michael Myers in this movie just looks like Rob Zombie? Except way bigger? I don't know. I keep seeing that dude and thinking of, because I know it's the same actor, but it's a saber tooth from X-Men. Yeah. Like, well, what, you only really see his face a little bit at the end. Yeah. I don't know. It puts me off a little bit that that's the actor. Didn't Liev Schreiber play Sabretooth at one point? In later, yeah. In Wolverine. Yeah. The Wolverine movie. Instead of focusing on Michael, Zombie chose to look more at the psychological consequences on Lori after the events of the remake. As Zombie explains, after Michael murdered her friends and family, Lori became a wreck who continually sinks lower as the film moves forward. Even Sheriff Brackett goes through changes. Brackett, who receives more screen time in this film, allows Lori to move in with him and his daughter after the events of the first film. Zombie explained, he's old, he's worn out, he's just this beat-down guy with these two girls he can't deal with. The downtime without Michael is actually why I love this movie now. This feels like a real place with real people who seem like they're all living in the shadow of something truly horrific, and Lori is the only one acknowledging it. Her life has turned into a bit like the Twilight Zone in that sense. But that's what PTSD can seem like, I think, sometimes. Everyone else is normal. Why am I not normal? Right. And it's then tough. you start freaking out about yeah. why you're not normal. It's a downward spiral. The world wants me to move on. The world has moved on. The world thinks I'm crazy for not being able to move on. But I can't move on. Oh, I know. 
I know, I just, I, I, I wake up and I, I feel like I can't even breathe. Mm -hmm. It just seems to be getting worse. I'm, I'm concerned, but uh, gosh, I can't say that I'm surprised. I mean, it's Halloween, and Halloween is a big trigger point for you, isn't it? Barbara, I know Michael Myers is dead. I shot him in the fucking head. I know he's not gonna come back just because of some stupid holiday. Lori, they never found his body. So? So it's very hard for you to get closure on this. I mean, he's objectively dead, but he's living in your mind and he's living in your heart and your emotions. So that's the reality that we have to heal you from, which is why I say you're still in recovery. So basically, I just have to wait until my brain heals. <laughs> well, let's, let's try and help your brain heal a little bit today, okay? Okay. Okay. How's your relationship with Annie going? Annie? Yeah. Um, I am not good. Hmm. I don't know, I feel kind of shitty by saying this, but she's a constant reminder. Every time I see her face and I see those scars, I know that it's my fault. And, and, oh. I, and I, get, I get angry, and there's something in my body that, that snaps, and I get this zero to a hundred rage, and I just want to go up to her, and I just want to... Fuck, I don't know. Okay, finish the thought. Finish, finish that thought, it's really important. No, I'd rather not. Uh, you'll send me away. <sighs> I would never send you away. We're here to keep you out of the hospital. The last place you're going to heal is in a hospital. What is that? That? That's whatever you think it is, is what that is. The theory is that this ambiguous stimuli here will bring your subconscious thoughts into the light and illuminate them. So what do you see? Um, white horse? Uh -uh. So what does that tell you? Am I crazy or seeing? tells me you're a girl who likes white horses. Whether intentional or not, Margot Kidder plays Barbara Collier in this film, a character with a similar name to her Black Christmas character, Barbara Cord. Rob Zombie has stated that the original Black Christmas is one of his favorite horror films. The therapy sequences are a lot different in the director's cut. It's clear that Lori has a hair-trigger temper, violent impulses where she literally at one point is about to say that she wants to kill Annie and then stops herself. None of that is in the theatrical cut. Oof, temperature's rising. One thing did jump out to me, though, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Why does Lori say to her therapist, it's her fault, R.E. Annie? Why is she saying that now? It is weird. Because why would she think Michael is targeting her if she doesn't know that she's Michael's sister? That doesn't quite make sense to me. Yeah, I don't have an answer for that. If you want to have some form of guilt, I would maybe direct that more towards her parents or Linda, who are dead, and make that more of a survivor's guilt. 
I get the impulse to push everything towards Andy because that's what most of the movie is about, but it doesn't really make sense. If if she's not knowing that she's Michael's sister, why does she think it's her fault? While Lori deals with her bullshit, Dr. Loomis has chosen to turn the event into an opportunity to write another book. This is a completely different Loomis, especially from the version portrayed by Donald Pleasance in 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. Yeah, and even though he's a different version in Rob Zombie's Halloween 1, this is now a completely different. This is a guy that's been part of an event and really is taking the worst moral approach you can to how to handle the aftermath of it. Yeah, I know a lot of people were uncomfortable with this portrayal. I've heard that before. But again, I think that if you want to do a remake, yeah, you should be able to explore different ideas and not be beholden to what somebody else already did. I agree. Why? What? What does that accomplish? I know. I get it because I love the original Donald Pleasance Loomis character. Yeah. So it's like you want to see that character be honored and carried on in a certain way. But once you can remove yourself from that, this is a great performance. It's a great character twist. While writing for Loomis for the sequel, Zombie based his egotistical and self-absorbed personality on Dr. Phil and his talk show. Wow. I think the original characterization of Loomis for this film as a greedy, unlikable egotist was Malcolm McDowell's idea. He told Zombie he didn't want to give the same performance for this film. The stuff with him and his assistant... Mary Birdsong actually provides a lot of the comedy in the film. For sure. There's some really subtle, great moments between I them. I agree. There's that part where she tries to walk on one side of him, and he's too close to the wall, and he won't move. And so then she has to kind of go all in one move, like round to the other <laughs> side. <laughs> yeah. It's it's actually really funny if you watch. She tries to jam in for a second between, and then it's like, nope. She's really great in a small role, too, because... There are several moments where it seems like he's just an asshole to her, but then she can kind of like put up with it and give it back a little bit too. Yeah, at one point he says, if I wanted your opinion, I would beat it out of you. I know. And she just rolls with stuff like that. Oh, yeah, and he's like, get your ass in the car. (laughs) That's not in the theatrical cut, but yeah, that's hilarious too, where he grabs her arm and starts pushing her towards (laughs) the car. (laughs) But that's mostly because he was upset because he was getting something going with the reporter here. Yeah. But again, just showing, this is not your lovable Loomis. This is full-blown douche Loomis. No, he's written a second book now about Michael and about the events that happened in the first film, and he's trying to cash in. He's taking questions. He's doing a big press junket type situation. But it's clear that there is some pushback by society. Oh, yeah. He's not getting away with it entirely. People are- A lot of accusations. Pointing out how gross this all is. And really blaming him for what's happened, which I agree with him that that's not fair either. No, that's not fair, but when you try to profit off of it, right, you're going to have to icky. face those questions and accusations. Malcolm McDowell quotes Alex DeLarge, the character he plays in A Clockwork Orange during the press conference when he says, let's get things nice and sparkling clear. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We're going to step off of Loomis for a bit. And let's talk about where Lori works. Uncle meets Java Hole. Maybe not the most appetizing sounding place. But I think in 2009 we're reaching the end of even being able to pretend in movies that places like this really exist. I know, but I like to. Pittsburgh that's kind of like this called Ides. Yeah. 
but it doesn't seem as cool for some reason. Definitely doesn't seem as fun of a place to hang out. Well, they definitely didn't have girls that look like the girls yeah. that work <laughs> in Uncle it's, Meat's Java Hole working at I. No, no, it's guys that look like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> and in some cases, even worse, if you can believe that. <laughs> guys that look like Uncle Meat. <laughs> I think it's played by Howard Hessman. Yeah. Maya, played by Bria Grant, and Harley, played by Angela Trimber, are... Lori's new work friends. The new crew. It is weird that Annie has that line in the director's cut, but you never see Maya or Harley do anything to make you think that they're really negative influences no, or bad or I, anything. I, I just think it's this divide. Yeah. Lori's sort of trying to be a different person and yeah. Annie's going in her direction. That's right. A completely different place. But these are two more young women that are created by Rob Zombie that all dress, talk, act, live, and even somewhat resemble younger versions of himself. <laughs> Saying wild things out loud. Yeah. Talking in a way that I don't think I would have even talked in 2009. They are very crass. But then again, Linda was That's in the true. 2007 movie. Yeah. She has some wild sentences about flashing her snatch and yeah. calling her teacher a cunt and <laughs> stuff. Lord. Yeah. Where you're like, Jesus. Well, that's the Rob Zombie of it all. Elsewhere, Michael, who is in fact still among the living, existing as some kind of bearded drifter, keeps having visions of his mother's ghost and a younger version of himself who instruct him to return home and reunite with Lori. Reunite. Hmm. Well, that is interesting that you fixated on that because... What I, is the plan here? I have thought that it doesn't seem as if Michael is interested in killing Lori in this movie because... He has an opportunity. He has tons of opportunity, well, yeah. and he doesn't do it. He's afraid mommy will be pissed. Yeah. I've never seen someone more pussy whipped by their own mother. <laughs> <laughs> Michael passes through a farm, encountering the owners who come out to confront him, who Michael then kills. God only knows why he's wandered so far from Haddonfield or where he's spent the last two years, but he's got himself a mission now. I know there is almost a Lord of the Rings type element to this movie with Michael and his journey. A lot of shots of him walking through a field. <laughs> Long aerial swooping shots. I know. I know? wrote. I, I don't know if I wrote it down, but I love that one drone shot. Yeah. It reminded me of another horror film that I championed from 2009, Jennifer's Body. That drone shot of her yeah. in the lake. These two movies came out only two months apart, and my life was changed forever, evidently. <laughs> two overlooked masterpieces. <laughs> I think we're probably going to lose listeners because of this episode. <laughs> this Grizzly Adams-looking motherfucker just yeah. wandering around, <laughs> homeless, loving it. Mm -hmm. I think this scene's really included to pad the kill count, but it also serves as a way for him to put the mask back on because even though we haven't gotten a clear shot of his face, he is not wearing the mask. That's right. That would maybe be too He's conspicuous even yeah. for Michael Myers. He's fully bearded now. So this kill spree here feels a little bit like a rebirth of some kind. He's waking back up to yep. become active again because he probably hasn't been killing anyone. In these two years. That's true. He's out of practice. He's out of form. This is the first Halloween movie to include Michael clearly walking around without a mask on. In neither this film or its predecessor do we ever see Michael Myers driving a car. Rob Zombie omitted this element from his Halloween films because he found the idea of Michael being able to drive silly and far-fetched. I do agree with that. I do always think it's weird when he's driving a car. <laughs> the novelization... Hmm. 
of the original film (laughs) explained that Michael learned how to drive by simply watching Dr. Loomis operate his car as he drove him around. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No. Speaking of novelizations, that may be one of the bonus segments that we teased. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Betsy Rue, who plays Jazlene, the girl in the truck. That's right. Was actually given the role during a reshoot as a favor from Rob Zombie to Rue. Originally for the 2007 Halloween, she was cast in the role of Linda. Oh, wow. But had to drop out of the film due to scheduling conflicts. I only really know her from My Bloody Valentine 3D, where she runs around completely naked for a long stretch. Uh huh. <laughs> I am familiar with the sequence. It's a wild thing to see in a movie. Yeah. Lacey Chabert oh. had a small part in the film as Alice Martin, a character who actually did appear in the original Halloween 2 from 1981. However, her scenes ended up on the cutting room floor. No. I did not have time to go through the deleted material from this film because I watched both versions and the 2007 Halloween. So I don't know if those scenes are available anywhere or if they just didn't even make hmm. any kind of cut. Well, they didn't make any kind of cut, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Make it onto the Blu-ray, which sometimes even happens for some of the deleted scenes. Broken record alert, more really incredible shots, fully exploring all of the locations. Oh, yeah. Embracing the rural atmosphere. Getting a little taste of the world we're in. Those will be, uh, as you're transitioning scenes, shots of like a barn. Yeah. Like a Haddonfield sign. <laughs> Just a beat-up Haddonfield yeah. sign. When he kills that woman... Jasmine of this trio because yeah. the two dudes beat the shit out of him first and then he gets up and kills them that makes sense but the woman checks on him she seems concerned and gets them to stop I know and then he kills her anyway it was reminiscent of when he kills Danny Trejo in the original film because yeah. you're thinking he's not gonna kill this guy right this guy who was nice to him for 20 years or 15 years or however long he was in there and then he kills him anyway which a lot of people hated and I kind of hated it too yeah because you want Michael Myers to not to be so just blank. But yet, yeah. I guess that's what he is and has always been. But at the same time, you want them to have a little bit of humanity. Well, especially in this one when they spend so much time focusing on him and they want you to understand how he became this way. But we get glimpses of him coming from some sort of humanity. I know. That's why it, it doesn't really fit with... Yeah. It's the cake and eat it too thing. He that's right. wants him to be inherently evil, this blank slate of nothingness but also have been a normal person who got corrupted by a terrible upbringing and bad stuff. (laughs) I guess it's supposed to be a perfect storm of both, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of annoying. Yes, I'd say so. (laughs) I'm not a fan necessarily of the random bursts of slow motion in the movie. Me neither. I think the only time I really liked it was the Annie scene, and the reason I like it and maybe we'll mention this more when we get there, but when Annie turns and sees Michael is standing there in the bathroom, I like that she doesn't scream. She just sort of is like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, God damn it. And then turns to run, and it goes into slow motion. And that all is kind of fine, because I like the absence of the sound. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know why these moments go into slow motion sometimes. I don't like it. Michael then takes their dog and kills it, and then starts to eat it raw in a barn. And that's when we realize he has some sort of a psychic connection with his long-lost sister, Lori, because she's eating pizza with Sheriff Brackett and Annie. Oh, yeah. But then seems to have a transference with Michael, 
where she's experiencing eating the raw dog and she vomits. Now, I wanted to highlight this scene because it really exemplifies the magic of editing and the differences between the two versions of the film. Oh, yeah. In the director's cut, when Lori abruptly gets up from the dinner table while they're enjoying pizza and actually laughing and joking with each other, they're kind of making fun of Annie's dad for talking about Lee Marvin or whatever. Right. When she gets up, Annie is so annoyed. She's like, this fucking drama queen. What the fuck now? It's another thing. Oh, yeah. And her dad says, can you go check on her? And she's like, really? Like, she's pissed and annoyed about it. And then she's like, all right. This version, you only see her, of course, immediately get up to check on her friend. And then she's like comforting her, putting her head in her lap and holding and stroking her, you know, telling her it's going to be okay. And that's in the theatrical cut, too. But only she has to get there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Like she has to be pissed off and annoyed first. And that's all gone in the theatrical cut. And it just presents both girls as completely different. I know. And their relationship is completely different. It's funny on the audio commentary, Rob Zombie was talking about Brad Dorf in the scene, this seasoned vet actor, because he's like, we're shooting this for a while. And both girls in the pizza sequence are eating pizza. And Brad doesn't take a bite of pizza the entire time that he's talking. And while they were filming, he said that both girls had ate so much pizza that they got nauseous. (laughs) You got to perfect the art of palming your chewed food and putting it in a napkin when the camera's not on you. (laughs) What did you think about a lot of this pretentious black and white visions, the twisted fairy tale stuff, the dinner table with that pumpkin headed man and the globe headed man and Lori on the table. I'm okay with it. I think I could use like a little bit less of it, but it doesn't take me out of it. I think it kind of works. I think it's supposed to be what's going on in Michael's head, but then there's a shared dream. It's almost like him and Lori are both dreaming this. during this sequence and it's a window into what it's like in michael's head yeah speaking of those sequences like the other little nugget that i took out of the audio commentary that i thought was just sort of a funny production story and of course it's a ton of zombie like the studio wanted this and i was like fuck them i'm doing what i want for some of those sequences it was some of the last stuff that they filmed and they had reached their last day and he wanted to do more and he was like there's no way the studio is going to give me another day but if we just don't stop then they're not going to send somebody down here. They ended up doing like two days of shooting for like what was supposed to be the last day. (laughs) It's a little bit like a twisted fairy tale, again, reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the infamous dinner table scene. Yes, right. They refer to her as Boo, which is carried over from the original film, although, of course, Lori would not know that nickname for herself because Mm -hmm. she was just a baby. When she wakes up, She's in a bedroom with the muted TV in black and white, which is definitely recurring for Rob Zombie's films. A lot of his movies have that. Finally, we've made it to October 30th. So that was all one day. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Before we move on, I just I do like the pizza eating sequence where he's explaining the Lee Marvin stuff. It's this one kind of nice moment. Yeah. And I think that's part of why Annie is so annoyed. Yeah. Because even though deep down Annie knows that Lori is not really making herself throw up it's that gut reaction of like jesus fucking christ can't we just be normal i know it's got to be center of attention Lori. what drama is going on with her now we're seeing more of this haddonfield 
as I said, the Haddonfield of Halloween 4, farm country, wide open spaces, economically depressed. So, Dr. Loomis, tell me, how long do you plan on staying in town? Uh, please, Sam. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I could stay a few extra days. It depends on if there's something or someone that motivated me. Excuse me, Dr. Loomis. Uh, we're I, in, I'm in the middle of something. Can I speak right to you for a second, please? Add, what? Please. Excuse me, my dear. It won't be one second. What? Okay, I am all for selling books, right? God knows I've done some things that I'm not proud of. This is disgusting. I did not agree to this backdrop. I mean, what's next? Heading over to the cemetery and dancing on the victim's oh, graves? Look, I don't think you quite understand what I'm trying to accomplish here. Well, fair enough. I don't. Please, explain it to me. I would really like to understand. I'm selling the sizzle, not the steak. The sizzle? Yes. The sizzle. Mm -hmm. It's bad taste is what it is, okay? And it's just going to add fuel to the lynch mob fire. Bad taste? Bad taste? God, it's business, woman! Business! Besides, bad taste is the petrol that drives the American dream. Well, I think it's a mistake. Oh, yeah, you do, do you? Yes. Well, when I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. Here, now take that and go sit in the car. Go on, get Ow. your ass in there. Okay, hi, where do you want me? As Michael travels to Haddonfield, Lori begins having vivid hallucinations that mirror Michael's past. She's graduated from merely having nightmares to now finding the past inescapable, even while awake. Her hallucinations also begin to include her acting out Michael's original murders. This is something that is a prime example of something I thought was stupid in 2009 and now I think is really cool. <laughs> I don't know why it changed. Seeing Scout Taylor Compton in the sequences from the 2007 Halloween work for me now yeah. in a way that they never did back then. I think this really is cool, and I get it. Now that I'm comfortable knowing that they weren't actually replacing Michael Myers with Laurie, yeah. which is what I was afraid of at various points. Yeah, it does feel like it's heading that way. I can allow this to work for me in a way that I was I was afraid to before. Yeah, I was yeah. like, what does this mean? What are they doing now? <laughs> Come on. In this hallucination in the the dream sequence, she substitutes Annie for mom's pervy BF. I know. In terms of the one being duct taped to the lazy boy chair whose throat gets slashed. And that really plays into the shit that she says to her therapist about yeah. Annie and just something that's bubbling between them and not going great. And this was something that wasn't in the original script either. It was something that Rob Zombie just came up with driving to set one day. This whole sequence of having her recreate like the first. Well, that's awesome because yeah. I think it's one of the better parts. Now, yeah, it goes into the whole thing with her being in that glass coffin, right? With Sherry Moon above her and bloody Annie, and then it's cutting between Annie yelling things and Lori yelling things. I think it's supposed to be a window into Michael's fucked up psyche. Yeah, kill! I'm gonna fucking kill you, you fucking bitch! Fuck. Right. I think that's supposed to be Michael's mind or something. Those of you who always listen to the very end, I usually put a comedy clip or something funny at the end of the episode. This one's will be a little different. You'll hear a little bit of stuff from this movie that isn't that funny. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Including that part right there. So just be prepared. <laughs> you guys like Frankenstein? <laughs> <laughs> who likes popcorn? So I was... um. 
going through the park and um, there's this really crazy um, Frankenstein and he was like yelling at the kids and he was yelling at them like perverted things and stuff and I really, and I really thought it was funny and, and I stopped and watched it and then I, I saw, I saw this um, and this like this farm, Lori. and this lady was me hold the pig. What are you feeling and, right now, Lori? And the pig really liked me. She she said that the pig Lori. liked me, and I wanted to take Sit it. Sit down, home. Lori. Come on, Lori. Stay centered. What's going on? <laughs> I had this really, really, really crazy attack, and not while I was asleep, while I was awake. Look, I, ju I just need you to prescribe me something, please. Lori, according to my notes, you should have a lot of medication. I don't. I'm, but, I'm out. Oh, Look, no. I need you to get your magic pen and your magic no, piece of paper, no. and I need you to write me up a prescription, please. Lori, that's not the answer. Are you doing your breathing exercises? Breathing you... exercises? Yes, it helps. Breathing exercises yes, are going to cut it. Yes, like, I can't please. deal with this. Oh, I'm not honey. strong enough, and I'm you tired of pretending that I am. Look, Lori, listen to me. Stay with me. You are so much stronger than you think you are. You are. Now, come on. Sit down. Sit down. Breathe. Fucking let me go I, and give me some fucking prescription. I'm going to give you some Haldol to tide you over. Haldol? And yes, Haldol. It'll take some of these thoughts away. I and don't want Haldol. I want my prescription. Oh, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Fuck you. You know what? Fuck you and fuck this. I'm tired of your... How are you, Lori? I'm so concerned at a hundred bucks an hour. You know what? I would be fucking concerned at a hundred bucks an hour. I'm really concerned right bullshit, now. No, it's bullshit. not bullshit. You know what? Please, You're more fucked up than I am, you crazy bitch. Lori's mental state is continuing to deteriorate, though no one seems to be clocking the exponential rate at which it's declining. Drinking now when she can't get more meds, reconciling with Annie, and then turning on Annie immediately. A complete downward spiral. Meanwhile, Sheriff Brackett is watching Loomis on the news, teasing the revelations in his new book. He understands that he's got a girl living in that house dangerously close to the edge. He may not know or realize it, but it's probable that she's going over that edge regardless. Yeah. But he knows for certain that finding out the truth about her parentage is probably not going to go well. It is weird to me that this is the way that nobody ever... Yeah, well, let's chat save with that. Her. Let's yeah, save okay. that for okay. a second. Because that is a big leap of faith with this movie. Yeah. But we'll get there in a minute. I would say that Halloween 2, sometimes stylized as H2, by the way. Okay, good to know. <laughs> really lame. Haven't done that. Is in a unique position to tease something here. Because they're taking your pre-existing knowledge of the franchise. And I think other characters probably mentioned it or referenced it in the first film. But even still, it's not a surprise mm -hmm. to the audience. Right. But they decided to walk a tightrope where somehow it's not revealed to Lori during the duration of the first film. So then you're presented with a question, what do we do? Do we have her learn in between the first two films? Or do we somehow try to concoct a way to save it for the second film? They went for that second choice. We'll get there in a minute in determining whether or not we think it works. But it's unique. It's not often where you can mess around with stuff like that, where you have the wealth of knowledge provided by the pre-existing entries of the yeah. franchise working for the audience. That 
allows you as a writer director to play with things because you don't have to worry about explaining that to the audience. They already know what Sheriff Brackett is afraid of, even though they don't have to harp on it very much in the movie, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's that whole rabbit in red sequence. Obviously, that's the matchbook in the original film. They tie that in with Mom's old stomping grounds being the strip club she worked at. I don't know if they ever... Did they say that it's Rabbit and Red in the first film? I can't remember. It's supposed to be. Let's just say that. Jeff Daniel Phillips plays the guy that gets killed outside. I love... He plays double duty in this movie. I don't know if you noticed. He's that Coffin's comedian guy. Yeah, yeah. I love this sequence just because I really buy this vibe of this strip club like a weekday night there's just no one around yeah it's sort of one of your shitty roadside yeah. type places that might only have a couple girls working even when they're really busy right and a lot of times it's just one or two uh-huh. and there's not a lot of people there it's kind of sad yeah and sylvia jeffries who we know from eastbound and down and nashville just completely naked during yeah. most of this that always was... a good sport <laughs> That was one of the studio notes that she needed to be like in a bikini or something for these sequences. Of course, ignored. <laughs> <laughs> They'll roll with you on the topless stuff, but just having gratuitous full frontal nudity. Now, granted, I wouldn't say that it's that much full frontal. No, I, she's not showing at all in a lot of the moments and a lot of right. the shots. But yeah. you just know that she's completely right. naked, so it's kind of wild. She is also fully nude in Three from Hell. Oh, wow. So. Okay. <laughs> she is one of Rob's go-tos, I guess, for I that yeah. situation. The proprietor of the strip club, Big Lou, I believe he's in the first film, but he's just Lou or something. Yeah, he is. They actually had to change his name. I think his name was Lou Martini, and somehow they lost the rights to be able to call him that. <laughs> there must have been somebody else yeah. trademarking that or something. But yeah, he's Big Lou. Earlier in the day, he was dressed as a Frankenstein monster, which is what Lori's referencing in her second psychiatrist freakout. Right. She's demanding more meds because she saw him earlier. He's trying to bring it back because he wants to fuck this girl who's a stripper who was fucking this other guy. I don't know. Michael kills everybody. It's definitely got sadistic torture porn vibes to it. I'm not sure if it really fits with the rest of the film because... Did you need both this and the farm? It probably seems like, not. again, we're just padding kill counts here. Yeah, probably not. I, I like this more than the farm, though. Right. You could have done it here where he just puts the mask back on and yeah, now yeah. it's Michael again. But I don't know. The rural vibe, though, is something that seems to fit with like everything that they're Agreed. going for. Yeah. Now, what did you think about the damaged and worn mask look throughout the film? I'm okay on it. I don't know. I prefer the full intact mask i understand the impulse to do it it makes sense it's realistic never liked it never thought it looked good didn't really think the mask in either of the rob zombie movies is that great i know i'm i'm with you on that but it also makes sense for that era that 2003 to 2009 era that's what it would look like yep that's true and now it would look like how it looks in whatever but that was just of a moment October 31st, Halloween is finally here. Lou 
Loomis, meanwhile, continues to cash in on the carnage left in Michael's wake, embarking on a full-blown media blitz and promotional tour, which occasionally has him in Haddonfield to maximize the heat around his new book. However, it's not all smooth sailing. Loomis is criticized by the public, who can't help but feel like Loomis should share some of the blame for Michael's actions, or at the very least, not profit from them. There's also the matter of exploiting the deaths of Michael's victims, There's a particularly uncomfortable incident at a book signing when Loomis is confronted by Linda Mm -hmm. from the original film's father, who pulls a gun on him. And that's an intense scene. Yeah. That fits in with what would this really be like. Yeah, yeah. The anger feels real. The anger from the father is not necessarily present in most Halloween films, because when characters are angry in those other films... It feels a little bit more campy, a little bit more fun. Agreed, yeah. Doesn't really feel fun. No, he feels, this feels like he's very genuine. Fucking pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a real redhead? Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good one. You got it. It's going very well indeed. Well so, done. Yes. Look at the crowds. Great. Great. Right. Uh, well done. Ah. Thank you. Can you make it out to? Uh, Sorry, I'm a little nervous. Chet. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> Big deep breath. Thanks. Chet Johns. No, no, actually, you know what? Chet the bringer of death. Okay. That's Chet with two T's. Chet the, the bringer, bringer of death. Oh, man, that is so awesome. There you go. Thank you. Look, I just wanted to let you Enjoy. know that Michael is so much deeper than those other guys, like Dahmer and that bitch Bundy because he eats at the core of the victim's soul. You know how people ostracize All right, well, thanks. That's so much fun. You're the man. You're the man. You're the man, dude. You're awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Jesus. Well, we always have one, don't we? (laughs) Hi, how are you? Ah. Oh. You want me to sign this? What? You don't recognize her? Um, why, should I? Surprised. Huh? <clears throat> Take a really good look at her. Oh, she's beautiful. She was beautiful. This is my daughter, uh-huh. Linda. Your monster killed her. Wait, No. You butchered her. You have my deepest sympathy. Do I have your deepest I sympathy? You fucking pig. Truly sorry. sorry. You kill her. No, I didn't kill anyone. You kill her. Sir, all right, everyone, no. just calm down. It's all right. You butchered it's, my uh, baby. Back up. It's all right. You butchered my baby. Can we get somebody? I'm going to get you, Loomis, sir. I swear to. Get your hands hey, off me. Get your goddamn hands off me. All right. It's all right, everyone. Just calm down. Calm down. All right, I'm fine. Everything's under control. You son of a bitch! I'm gonna kill you, Loomis. I'm gonna kill you, goddamn. The name of the book is The Devil Walks Among Us, and it's become a recurring joke through this greatest October, but I couldn't help but think of the true crime podcasts and that obsession. And this movie really captures something that I think people are coming to grips with now after that big boom of true crime podcasts, which is, how do we feel about this? Is this right? Is it good to have a society obsessed and glorifying these horrible stories certain podcasts do a pretty good job of not exploiting the victims and shitting on the criminals and not glorifying them and that kind of a thing but even still i know a lot of people are making a lot of money off of other people's misery through the true crime world 
which has always existed, sure, mind sure, you, but has yeah. become super popular because of podcasts. And I think Zombie accidentally stumbled onto something oddly prescient with this Loomis character and with what he's doing in the aftermath. It's unique because he was directly involved. You don't generally have a lot of doctors doing shit like this. But still, I think it's very applicable to certain true crime people in that realm today in 2023. Yeah. And that was definitely not something in 2009. No. So it's weird how it yeah has shifted. Chris Hardwick and Weird Al are in the movie on this talk show. I was thinking about the Dick Cavett show with Zsa Zsa Gabor in yeah. Dream Warriors, even <laughs> though it doesn't play out like that. Right. But just this random talk show appearance. I guess Weird Al's only stipulation for appearing was that he got to pick his own clothes <laughs> or something. And I think he had just had dinner with Chris Hardwick the night before they were going to film this. Because they didn't have somebody. They wanted to have another quasi-celebrity guest on the show, and they did not have someone. And Rob Zombie was just talking to Chris Hardwick, and he's like, Oh, yeah, I was at dinner with Weird Al last night. Let me ask him if he'll do it. <laughs> I dinner think it, with Weird Al? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? What a sentence. Yeah, I mean, who knows? It was probably something for whatever he was doing with his Nerdist stuff. Or I don't even know if that had started yet at that point. Well, Hardwick was in House of a Thousand Corpses, right. which so some there people was a connection maybe don't there. remember. Yeah, but I do think it works really well that it ends up being Weird Al because I think it really illuminates... The, the absurdity side, of the, Loomis. Yeah, and the side of celebrity that he's really playing in, which yeah, is like this, kind of a more joke. Of a, a sideshow element. Yeah. It also really makes sense that Rob Zombie would have Weird Al in his movie because Rob Zombie seems like somebody who would not only like Weird Al, but really appreciates novelty acts. Yeah, for sure. You probably still haven't watched that Weird Al movie, Weird. But no, I haven't. There's that whole part where he goes to a Hollywood party, and it's a parody of going to the big Hollywood drug party. Except it's during the day, it's at like a shitty pool at somebody's house or something. Not like it's shitty, but it's not like a big time celebrity. And the only people in attendance are novelty acts (laughs) from the 80s. Mr. T, Elvira, whoever. People like that are at this party. Pee Wee Herman. Mm -hmm. Those are the type of people I think Rob Zombie would like. Oh, totally. There's another really funny moment with... Mary Birdsong and Malcolm McDowell when he is fucking losing it because Hardwick and Weird Al oh I guess Hardwick's not actually playing himself but whatever Newman something Newman they humiliate him and ask him like the tough uncomfortable questions but also kind of poke fun at him and Weird Al answers one of the questions at one point and he's fucking (laughs) losing it on his little assistant as they're walking out and then in the middle of that tirade they both turn to the the front desk person. The front desk person. Yeah. They're like, thank you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there was something about that to me that struck so true. That just oh, yeah. seemed like straight out of life. Everything with McDowell's character feels very true to life for totally. this type of yeah. person. The only thing that actually feels out of character is that attack of conscience at the end when he decides he needs to help and get involved. That actually does not feel believable. Yeah. But everything else, I'm like, yeah, I get it with this guy. It's Loomis's book that provides the final nail in the coffin of Laurie Strode's sanity. When the book is finally released, Laurie discovers her true identity. The people she believed to be her parents, the Strodes, murdered two years earlier by Michael Myers, merely adopted her when she was a baby. Reading the book, Laurie learns that she is actually Angel Myers, Michael's long-lost sister. To put it mildly, this ancestral sucker punch is not well received by Laurie, who was probably going to fucking lose it anyway. 
Yeah. I love the setup. I love Sheriff Brackett knowing it was coming first, then confirming on his own in his office, reading the book, flipping out, and then trying desperately to track Lori down, even scaring Annie by how urgent he seems, and Annie doesn't know what's going on. Clearly, Annie has never been told about this either. Right. Which makes sense. I don't think anyone knew except for him and the Strodes. Now, that is impossible. We'll get there in a minute. The decision to give Lori the name Angel as her real name was meant to emphasize her as an extreme opposite to Michael. Lori Strode's birth name in the original film was Cynthia Myers. This is the biggest suspension of disbelief in this movie, potentially. There's some things that stretch credibility, maybe less so than a lot of other Halloween films, but this one is big. After this massive murder event happened in this small town you're telling me that this is not making its way into any sort of news literature deborah myers doesn't kill herself until seemingly months go by okay yeah maybe even a year all right so maybe in rob zombie's version he's thinking enough time has gone by since michael killed the rest of his family that when she commits suicide it's not going to register as a big story anymore because more time has gone by. It will get mentioned in the paper. Yes. Woman who was at the center of this horrible thing commits suicide. Everyone will read it and go, yeah, that checks out. (laughs) Then they will move on with their lives and forget that she had another child. And quietly, you can kind of make that happen. But 15 years later, after he fucking comes back and starts killing everybody... And hey, people let's... start looking into this. Yeah. They're going to be like, whatever happened to that other sister? There was a record. Presumably, Deborah right. gave birth in a hospital. You can't just disappear somebody. Some uh, dot connecting would start happening. Now, in the original film, I don't know. I don't even remember if Lori finds out. Does she find out in Halloween 2? I can't even remember that. Uh, yes. How does she react to it? I don't even remember this. Mm. She's just like, whatever. Who <laughs> <laughs> gives a shit? I mean, I don't think she's thrilled, but yeah. She probably doesn't have time to process it. It's actually more of a devastating blow for it to come well after. Yeah, yeah. Because then you've come to grips with everything that's happened, and then you realize, oh, this was my brother. But if you're like, my psycho brother, who I didn't know existed, came back into my life and started doing this, and you learn that all in one night, then it's probably easier to... I'm pretty sure she finds out on that. It's revealed in that movie. It is, but I don't remember it being revealed to her. Yeah. It's actually revealed in the television version of the first movie. True, yeah. In 2009, the media would have gotten all over that. You can't just make someone disappear unless they faked that the baby was dead, too. I don't know. Then you start getting into a whole weird thing about how you would make this possible. Sheriff Brackett was, like, covering some tracks. He scrambled the records. It's Blade Runner 2049. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't sound that far-fetched, that he would delete something or change something. I don't know. It could happen. But whatever. She didn't know. Now she knows, and it is not well-received. Well, let's just say she was not in a good mental space to take this kind of news on. (laughs) Lori? Hey! Hey! Dad called. He was trying to find you. Yeah, I bet he was. Tell me you didn't. No, please. Tell me you didn't. No, what? Fuck it. 
I mean, Daddy's little princess knows all, right? What are you talking about? Hey, stop! <laughs> calm down. Look at me. What is going on? Let me just call my dad, okay? We could talk to him. You know what? I have a message for your dad. Tell him that Angel says fuck you. <laughs> Who is Angel? Lori! In order to escape her intense emotions, Lori insists that Maya and Harley accompany her to a Halloween party. The three girls dress as characters from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which is cool. The party is nuts. <laughs> There's topless dancers and a band. There's also a ridiculous Halloween-themed stand-up comedian named Uncle Coffins or something. Yeah. Another who is also played by Jeff Daniel Phillips, who plays right. the guy who was killed at the strip club because frequent zombie collaborator Bill Mosley, who was also in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and is in almost all of Zombies films, was supposed to play that character, but quit after one day because he was getting so pissed off at the studio interference, which I was thinking, wow, that's so crazy that it w- this situation was that intense that someone who's only shooting for a few days has to quit. Yeah, really. There wasn't any more explanation provided, so I don't know what that really huh. meant. It's not like him and Zombie had a falling out. He was just in the fucking monsters. He's still in all of his movies. Sort of a surprise that they're able to have this type of banging party in the greater Haddonfield area. It didn't seem like anyone was checking IDs. Right. I, I would think it was nonstop underage drinking. Although it, maybe it's a regular bar and club. It's kind of hard to tell. It looks like a barn. There's projected black like, and white yeah. movies on the sides of the barns it's outside. It's like one of those factory-style parties like in Fear. Yeah, kind of. You There's know? a giant robotic monster that kind of looks like Pumpkinhead, but also kind of looks like the character from Trick or Treat, mm-hmm. but it's not. I'm not sure. Was that so- from something, that character? I don't know. Angela Trimber is the Frankenfurter character. She hooks up with a guy pretty quickly. I don't know if you realized who this was. I doubt it because he never takes his mask off. So no. Wolfie, mm-hmm. this boy that she hooks up with who seems terrified to try to like make a move, which I thought yeah. was very relatable. Totally. She's like she's intense. She's saying wild shit. She's saying I'm a chick dressing up as a dude who wants to be a chick or something because she's playing Frankenfurter, and so he's getting worried that she might have a penis or something. And she literally just bursts out, "Put your hands down my pants and find out." Oh yeah. She's like saying highly sexualized things. He's not picking up on it. At one point, she's putting his hand on her breast and saying, "How's that feel?" And he's like, oh, that's great. And then he just says, thank you, and Pulls moves his hand, his hand away. away. Yeah. And he's like, I have to go pee. Yeah. Just leaves. <laughs> I need to remove myself from this situation. It's too intense. Well, Wolfie is played by Matt Bush, who plays Frigo in Adventureland. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I did not put that <laughs> I recognized yeah. his voice. I was I like, should've. that voice sounds so familiar to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Michael kills them eventually. Yeah, yeah. Since it is Halloween and since he is back in town, you just knew Michael was going to need to make his presence known. He shows up in the parking lot, killing Woofy and Harley. He always just seems to know who Lori's friends are. Woofy may be asking, why me? Well, dude, you talk to a girl that Lori Strode works with. Tough break. You're dead now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know why Michael shows up at the party. Again, it feels like to just get more kills in because he doesn't go after Lori at the party and then just goes to the house she was living in. So I don't know why he shows up here. It's a good point. His plan is very unclear. I guess the only explanation you could come up with in Halloween kayfabe is that his mother and his 
younger version of himself they're leading are him leading around. him around yeah. because how does he know where anybody is? Yeah. A highly inebriated Lori then has a vision of young Michael with his angel slash ghost mom, who is also Lori's real mom. Deborah tells her, it's almost time to come home, Angel. Meanwhile, Sheriff Brackett has sent one of his men to the house to watch over Annie while Lori and Maya look to leave the party, seemingly fine with just leaving Harley there. Michael, for whatever reason, leaves the party and then shows up at the Brackett house. Kind of impossible to explain why he went to the party at all or how he even knew Lori and her friends were there. Is he spying on her? I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's been in Haddonfield that long. Anyway, he kills the cop first outside and then goes inside and fatally wounds Annie. Rough. Our poor Annie. I said to Lindsay while we were watching this, no more movies with an Annie Brackett being killed. I can't take it anymore. This is it. Yeah. It's not the same as the original. But I do, once again, really love the Annie Brackett character. Well, at least she got to be in two movies this time. Yeah. But it is rough. It's pretty brutal, especially everything with her dad, too. There's so much hanging over this death. You just do not want her to be killed. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 forces you to face those kind of realities, those questions. Mm -hmm. Because so often in these movies, countless people are killed, and there is no dwelling on it. We joked about that in Scream 2, right? about how Tatum... Sydney's best friend and Dewey's sister is brutally murdered, and they never talk about it. No. They're like, who? Yeah. Tatum who? You kind of accept that. That's part of the fun with these horror movies. You don't want to have to think about the bad side too much because we're just trying to get teenagers into the seats, get the money. There'll be some scares, some jumps. You get to put your arm around the girl you brought. That's a horror movie. Get your popcorn ready. Rob Zombie is taking it a little bit further. I'm not... I'm certainly not suggesting that he's the only director to do stuff like this or anything, but this movie specifically is not focusing on being super scary or super invested in the kills per se. It's more, what does that mean and how do we feel? And bringing an actor the caliber of Brad Dorif in to emote in the aftermath of his daughter being brutally murdered. Oh, it's rough. I think there's some really great scenes in this movie one when brad dorf is at the station just sort of like hanging out smoking cigarettes and that other police woman walks out and yeah, it's yeah. like we got a 911 call and he's like oh, okay yeah what's up did you dispatch someone she's like yes and he's like well then why are you telling me about this it's just like it came from your house yeah you're like oh shit and he knows right then right oh i'm gonna rewind it back to when he kills the cop. Yeah. That actually might be my favorite Michael Myers kill in the movie. I love how they do that, where the house light is in the background, everything's in dark shadow. Yep. There's a tree, and then there's a cop standing a few feet away from the tree, lighting a cigarette, smoking the cigarette, standing outside, and you're kind of in a faraway shot, and then all of a sudden, out of the shadow of the tree comes Michael. He's been standing there in the darkness the whole time. That was pretty cool. I thought so, too. Then when he goes inside, he goes after Annie. Annie turns, doesn't scream. I already mentioned it, but I think it's really cool. It goes into the slow motion and then eventually changes to audio only because the visual then becomes Lori and Maya arriving at the house. 
but you're hearing Annie getting like slashed up. Yeah. Later, it will kind of cut back to it a few yeah. times. They save that for when Laurie and Maya actually come upon the scene of destruction because in the director's cut, they don't go straight upstairs. They they spend some time downstairs first. There's another cool exterior shot of the house too when they're first coming in and you're just seeing the full front of the house and then you see like Michael pass through the window upstairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is cool too. Yeah. And some of these exterior shots at night, now granted it's a completely different location because there's no houses close to yep, it, but I it know looks exactly a lot say. like the house yeah. Annie babysit at. Definitely. The one where he carries her around the side yeah. in the first original 1978 film. So yeah, there's definitely some aesthetic echoes going on there. Definitely. Lori and Maya find Annie in the bathroom. She and Lori share. It's a fucking bloodbath. Lori sends Maya to call 911 while Annie dies in her arms. Maya gets the 911 call off, but then she too is slaughtered. You know, the more I hear about this Michael Myers guy, the more I don't like him. No, he does seem like a dick. He's really ruining people's nights. He seems like a real jerk. Yeah. Just a not good guy. I liked this new crew of girls and now cut down pretty quickly. Annie's death is long and bloody. And sad. And sad. She's naked and covered in blood on the bathroom floor. And she is in Lori's arms for a while. Yep. Still alive at this time. Yeah, and then she she dies in her arms. Lori finds Maya dead, too. That just feels like, what the fuck? This is literal hell now. I know. Why would you even want to live anymore? Everyone you know has been murdered. It is rough. New friends are murdered. Old friends are murdered. Your parents were murdered. And it finally brings me to my point with this movie. This is far more sad and depressing than scary. It's almost not a horror movie. Yeah. I get that it is, and it has to be, but it doesn't really feel like it when you're watching it. Michael comes for Lori next, but she manages to escape. This outdoor chase has some really cool-looking shots, too. The moonlight through the trees looks incredible. Sheriff Brackett arrives home and finds his daughter dead. The Danielle Harris home movies. Oh, I know. Just the VHS quality inserted into what a what a nice such a bummer (laughs) she's playing with a dog yeah (laughs) she looks how she looks in halloween four and five too so it's an added yeah meta thing it's almost too much here (laughs) i'm like oh my gosh you're like is rob zombie is is he gonna make me cry with halloween (laughs) too ethereal mystical music starts playing Slow motion's happening. It's cutting between Brackett being helped away and Lori running through the night in complete terror. She ends up going through the woods. She comes to a road and manages to flag down a car. However, Michael arrives, killing the driver and then flipping the car over with Lori still inside. Michael then carries an unconscious Lori to a nearby abandoned barn while the car burns behind them. It's Michael carrying Laurie, plus young Michael and their mother, Deborah Myers, glowing white, all with that big orange ball of fire behind them. Yep. Again, this looks awesome. <laughs> totally. It looks fucking badass. Yeah. If you're not a visual person with movies and you're 100% about the plot and the story, this is probably not going to be the movie for you. Although I don't think the plot is actually that bad or anything. I don't either. But a lot of the best stuff of this movie is visual. That's true. It just puts you into a mood. While the driver's body is discovered, 
leading authorities to their location. Lori awakens inside a hallucination, now seeing her birth mother in front of her face just as clearly as Michael can. Deborah's ghost asks Lori to repeat after her, I love you, mommy. Chief, we got another body up on Eagle Road. We got a witness. She saw a large man carrying a girl away from a crash. The state police believe the perp is barricaded inside of a shack just north of the crash site. Okay. Want me to handle it? I think maybe you should drive. Yes, sir. People, roll out. Going to Eagle Road. Who are you? You know who I am, Angel. Now, repeat after me. I love you, Mommy. 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 find Michael's location and surround the barn with armed men, vehicles, and helicopters in the sky. Loomis, still stinging from the harsh words of Chris Hardwick and Weird Al and his assistant and some of the reporters and Rewatching father. his performance. He sees a news report on television, decides he must do something, and heads to the scene. It's a little bit of a redemption arc for old Sammy boy here. I think so. I don't really think it fits with his character. I don't know if I buy it, but I'm here for it. Like, yeah, it's I, fine. I, I'm ready for it to happen. Well, we need to set up a scenario yeah. where we're going to wipe the slate clean, which is what Zombie wanted to do with the ending. And we're talking, of course, about the director's cut ending, which is significantly different. Sure. When Loomis arrives, Brackett punches him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Deservedly so. It does seem crazy that Brackett would be leading this operation at this point. Given well, Dauber that... from Coach says, "Yeah, do you want me to handle it? Kind of implying, I should handle it. No, yeah. I think he's implying, I want you to come do this because you, you will want to. Oh, oh Like, oh. you you should want to do this. Right, kind right. Of a, like, if he didn't want to, I don't think he would push him, but, like, yeah. you want to go kill this guy or Yeah, what? this is your moment. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think normally they probably wouldn't include the father of no, someone. who was just murdered. But Loomis perseveres and makes his way inside the barn. Of course, he can't see young Michael or Deborah Myers. He just sees adult Michael standing there in a tattered mask and Lori flopping around on the ground. He has a good presence in this scene. Yeah, she he does pick up where me. he left off with yeah. Michael in the first film. Because right. at a certain point, he gives up on Michael yeah. and doesn't really interact with him as an adult, leading up to Michael's escape. 
But before that, when he would go visit him in all of those endless scenes yep, in right. the first film, he does sort of pick up that tone. Yep. And then he's like, okay, come on, come with me. And she's like, I can't, I'm being held down. Yeah, she's lost in the delusions of being held down by baby Michael, which, okay, if you're being held down by a child, yeah. you would think you, even in a delusion, you'd be able to get up. Just like flip, flip him over your back or something. As Loomis tries to revive Laurie, Deborah gives Michael the go-ahead, and he stabs Loomis to death, with both of them crashing through the wall back to the outside. Maskless, Michael Myers speaks for the first time as an adult, yelling, die, mm-hmm. before finishing off Loomis. This is the part where yeah, the this is different. director's cut and the theatrical cut diverge. When Michael first grabs Loomis... In the theatrical cut, they stay in the barn. And he kills him. It's much more brutal and clear, I'd say. In which version? In the theatrical. Yeah. Like, there is no question that he's dead. Yeah. Whereas in this one, I feel like it almost seems like he just tackles him through the barn. Well, knife first, though. Well, yeah. I think he's supposed to be dead in both. I do think he's supposed to be dead. I just think it's less clear. In the theatrical cut, they stay in the barn. Director's cut, out of the barn. Yep. I just wanted to point out the moment. We'll talk about the theatrical cut in a minute. Michael is then killed by a barrage of bullets from the assembled cops. Lori, bloodied, battered, and still comedically dressed as Magenta from Rocky Horror, staggers out of the barn and walks to the bodies. Time seems to stop. She crouches down and takes Michael's knife before standing over Loomis as if to stab him. Before Brackett can stop them, a few shots ring out, hitting Lori killing her too and then we're transported into a white room ending which some people interpreted as her still being alive that is definitely not the case for the director's cut this is supposed to be her last thoughts returning once again to that weird psyche that she seems to share with her brother yeah what do you think about these cops shooting her a little premature. She uh, yeah. picked up the knife, but she hadn't even raised it or anything. Right. She was just sort of standing there. Seems like they could have sent someone in to detain her. Yeah, it wouldn't have been that hard, really. Yeah. But just another devastating blow for uh, Sheriff Brackett. What do you think the movie after this that's just about his trauma? I wish I had a funnier answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be pretty rough. I was just thinking of John Saxon from Dream Warriors just sitting yeah. at a bar, but it would probably be worse. Right. In this white room, Lori is visited by her ghost mom. I think there's a pretty cool juxtaposition of the two faces. And in a weird way, Scout Taylor Compton on the extreme close-up sort of resembles young Michael. I agree with that. And I think that it actually is kind of cool. That zoom in on her face before it ends and... The music's even a little different because the director's cut goes into Love Hurts first. Right. Like a, a weird like it's a cover, choral yeah. version of it almost. And then into the original Halloween theme, whereas the theatrical cut, it's straight into the Halloween yeah. theme, which is the only place in the movie that that theme appears because they couldn't figure out where to put it. And she has sort of a sinister look on her face at the end. Yeah, which means different things yeah. in the different cuts because in the theatrical cut it definitely seems like she's supposed to still be alive which is annoying mm-hmm. and the director's cut it's just more of finding this weird fucked up piece now right. that she's dead and this is all over and it's wiped out everyone yeah it's true it's like a sinister smile the theatrical cut ending goes a little bit like this the police discover Michael's location and surround the shed or barn I called it a barn 
Loomis arrives and goes inside to try and reason with Michael, but when he tries to resuscitate Lori from her hallucinations, Michael grabs Loomis and stabs him to death before being shot through the cabin window by Brackett and impaled on a rake. Apparently released from her visions, Lori walks over to Michael and stabs him to death with his own knife. The shed door opens and Lori walks out wearing Michael's mask. Later, Lori sits in isolation in a psychiatric ward, grinning as Deborah's ghost approaches with the white horse, seemingly indicating that Lori is now Michael. Yeah. She's in the asylum. She is insane. She's kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Theoretically, there could be a Halloween 3 where she escapes from the asylum and she is Michael Myers, essentially. It's weird that that's the ending in the theatrical movie, but that version is devoid of all of the buildup to that. Losing touch with reality. All of that is in the director's cut, but then the theatrical cut. Yeah. Her switch to being insane seems completely out of the blue. Right. The psychic hold on Lori seems to break in the theatrical cut when Brackett shoots Michael. She says, I love you, brother, before she stabs him, which uh-huh. is very reminiscent of their bizarre kiss in H2O, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I still am not entirely sure what that was supposed to be really? about. I don't really love Lori wearing the mask. I think that's kind of stupid. The theatrical cut ending was a reshoot. Enforced by the Weinsteins, the original ending saw all principal characters, including Laurie, killed off, which didn't go over well with them. To keep the possibility of yet another sequel open, Zombie was forced to reshoot the ending where Laurie survives instead. In the unrated director's cut commentary, Rob Zombie says that in the original ending, the three main characters all die in Laurie Strode's psychiatric ward. Stay is really, in fact, her last thought as many mistake it as she's still alive Uh zombie had nearly every main character killed off in the ending including myers and laurie though she only dies in the director's cut to finally ensure that another film could not be made despite this dimension films insisted on a third film and zombie walked away from such plans not wanting to be involved with it this film ultimately underperformed financially and was disliked by fans and critics alike casting doubt on a sequel after years of no development, Dimension Films and the Weinstein Company finally surrendered the rights to Universal Pictures and Blumhouse, resulting in Halloween 2018. Uh-huh. A popular fan theory of Halloween is that Rob Zombie's original intention was that Michael Myers died when Laurie shot him, and all of his appearances in this film were a hallucination. In the end, it would have been revealed that all murders Michael committed in this film were actually committed by Laurie, and she hallucinated Michael committing them due to developing dissociative identity disorder because of the trauma of the first film and genetically disposed by mental illness. Laurie's inclination to insanity has been confirmed by Zombie in his commentaries and the making ofs. I don't think that her being the killer throughout the entire film really makes any sense at all. Most, if not all, of Michael's kills in this film require a lot of strength yeah, and resilience. Yeah, physical. Are we to suggest that Mark Boone Jr. and that other guy Hit her with her a with a bat and a crowbar? <laughs> yeah. I think she would be dead. Yeah. Now, a guy who's seven foot tall and looks like a professional wrestler, you could kind of believe it. It's not the most believable thing, but you can kind More of More believable than her. Yeah. I don't believe her being capable of stringing up 
the one guy in the strip club with his head completely gone. I don't think she could stomp on that guy's face for an hour. I don't yeah. think his face would look like that. <laughs> but that's what I was afraid of the first time I saw the theatrical cut in theaters. Uh-huh. I thought that that's what they were insinuating, and I found that to be kind of stupid just because the rest of the film well, doesn't yeah. work. And if they're insinuating that, it's almost like you're getting a double whammy because you already had the first 25 minutes of the movie that's not real. Yeah. And then it's almost like everything that happened isn't real the way that it happened. Yeah, and it makes Lori more unlikable, which I don't think that Zombie would be afraid of yeah. doing, but at a certain point, you kind of have to ask, why are we doing this? Why are we watching this? Who cares if this is all in our head? If they had set up the rest of the film in a way where that twist could have made sense, yep. then fine, but they didn't. None of those kills could have been committed Agreed. by Lori. This is much more of Lori's story, whereas the 2007 film is much more of Michael's story. It's not pleasant. I would say that sometimes it feels comparable to Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, mm-hmm. which is another girl just really going through it. I agree. When you watch Halloween 2 through that lens, through a lens of inevitability, it takes on sort of this doomed sadness. Yeah, Yeah. there's never going to be a way to recover from what happened in the first film. Yep. And it's only going to get worse. I wish there was even more present in terms of the Laurie-Annie dynamic. I think they could have even had a few more scenes with those two together. It is the heart and soul of the movie. The theatrical cut, why even bring Annie back? I know. It doesn't even feel like she does much. It kind of feels like a thankless appearance in that version. Yeah. I wish Annie maybe would have gotten maybe one scene by herself where we learn a little bit about what she's doing. Because as you said, she's a a homebody. Yeah. It's Halloween night. She still seems like a young girl. I know Daniel Harris at this point was probably like 30 years old at least. But but still playing like a 19-year-old. But yeah, Yeah. she's supposed to be two years out of high school, basically. She's not doing anything. Does she go to college? Does she have a job? We don't know. Mm -hmm. Who are her friends? Right. I'd like to get a little bit more. Maybe I will check out some of those deleted scenes and see if there's a little bit more. I kind of doubt it, though. Maybe check out the novelization. (laughs) Just (laughs) dropping little teases throughout. (laughs) Some people may not appreciate the characterizations in the movie and think everyone's too much like Rob Zombie. The girls don't talk in a way that they would normally talk. They don't look how they would normally look. They don't act how they would normally act. But it's a weird comparison to make. But I was thinking of Euphoria and Sam Levinson and how there's shit in that show, regardless of if you like it or not, that is stupid. That girls or boys or whoever, the characters of those ages, wouldn't do the music they wouldn't know or listen right. to or care about. And things happen that aren't realistic and it's shot very elevated, let's say. Sure. But that's all one artistic vision. You can like it or not like it. That's not my point. My point is sometimes the auteur should control every aspect of it and just make it as if it's his world and not worry about reality at all. Right, right. And I think to a certain extent Zombie is sort of doing that in this movie. I think so. He's making these characters the way that he wants them to be, even if that's not true to life necessarily. And I appreciate it. Totally. I, it took me a long time, but I got on yeah. the same page with this vision. <laughs> In 2009, Zombie declined to return to direct the sequel to Halloween 2. On August 30th that year, the next film in the series, Halloween 3D, was announced by the Weinstein Company and planned to be released in 2010. Wow. 
retroactively establishing Lori to have killed Loomis instead of Michael, with Todd Farmer and Patrick Lassier scribing. The film was ultimately canceled as Bob and Harvey Weinstein decided to greenlight and prioritize Scream 4 instead. Probably for the best. There were rumors for years that there was going to be a Halloween 3 or a Halloween 3D, that Rob Zombie would eventually do it. I don't know how true any of that was. I don't know if he ever even remotely considered. It seems like things were pretty fractured Doesn't by that Doesn't feel point. like he would have been interested. But there were all kinds of different fan theories out okay. there that somebody was going to remake Season of the Witch. Wow. Or Hell obviously yeah. the Halloween 3D part of it, that it was going to be totally unrelated. Mm. All kinds of different things I remember hearing over the years. Which brings us to the end of Halloween 2. Before we get into our usual segments... Let's talk updated Halloween franchise power rankings. All right. Which I believe the last time we ranked them was on the Give Us a Second that we did in 2018 or whenever that was. It was a long time ago. My rankings have significantly changed, I would imagine, because I was at a point where I still didn't like Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, I think, the last time we did that ranking. so Yeah. Well, certainly for me. I don't know what has shifted. I didn't look at my last list or anything, but... no. I can't because they changes every year. For yeah. me. I actually post my power rankings on Twitter every year. That's great. Because they do change. <laughs> I'll go first. We'll go back and forth. Okay. I'm going to say a, a little tidbit probably about each movie, but not get too deep into it. Right. There are 13 films. Number 13, it goes without saying, this movie is an abomination. <laughs> it's bad on every level. When I rewatch the Halloween franchise... It's the one I struggle with the most, and I often skip. 2002, mm-hmm. Halloween Resurrection, the sequel to yeah. Halloween H2O. I also have this as the worst one. Theoretically, it's not the worst idea I've ever heard, but I don't think it belongs in Halloween, and yeah. I think other movies have kind of done the same thing now and done it better. Because you got to remember, in 2002, the idea of reality shows and webcams... That was all new. Right. So it's not the worst thought to go into that world. However, Jamie Lee Curtis, spoiler alert, is killed in the first five minutes. After that, you're watching a Buster Rhymes, Tyra Banks movie. Do you want to start number 12 since yours was the same? Yeah, sure. And this is like the only thing, I think this is a much better movie than Halloween Resurrection because of how bad Halloween Resurrection just (laughs) is. There's a big gap from 13 to 12. But it is tough. This movie pushed me towards challenging resurrection just because i've never felt anger <laughs> towards a movie the way i did with this rob zombie's halloween too <laughs> <laughs> it's actually halloween kills me too we were i just same, same i was thought. so mad as you get into the last 15 minutes of that movie oh you didn't love people chanting evil dies tonight oh and the townspeople physically killing michael myers Halloween Kills, released in 2021, is my number 12 as well. My number 11, released the next year on Halloween of 2022. (laughs) Halloween Halloween ends. I thought you might have that one higher on the list. You defended it a little bit more. Because I thought it was better than Kills, and I didn't think it was as bad as people were saying. I appreciated the attempt to do something different. Right, okay. Still didn't like it, though. Not a lot. No. I would say that it's pretty close to being even with my number 10, 
but I'll let you give your number 10 since your number 11 was the same. Okay. I have Halloween 6 as my number yeah. 10. Okay. Me too. <laughs> the Curse of Michael Myers, 1995. The only it thing stinks. that pushes this ahead of ends is the nostalgia. Yeah. That's the thing. It's so terrible. It's pretty bad. But in a way that you're like, I kind of want to watch this. <laughs> It has Paul Rudd. I appreciate them bringing Tommy back and having him be played by Paul Rudd, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Factoring into the franchise. Some of the scenes are kind of cool, but most of it is not great. And the overall story, the mythology stuff is so bad by that point where you're like, what the fuck are they even talking about? Sam Hain and all this evil spirit shit. It's like, okay. It stinks, but there's a little bit of a campy vibe to it that you can kind of have some fun with it. Yeah. It still aesthetically fits in with four and five, even though there was a gap. Mm -hmm. My number nine, because we have been exactly the same so far. Yeah. My number nine is Halloween 2018, the first David Gordon Green effort. I'm going to just say like the next three for me are relatively even, but I put Halloween five here okay i had halloween five at number eight okay so yeah we're kind of flip-flop there because my number eight was the david gordon green halloween halloween five i probably like the vibe of it more but i always was bothered by this whole mystery man and it never gets resolved yeah because they kind of don't even address that in six exactly it loosely is Yeah. yeah and it's such a big part of the movie yeah. So the fact that it doesn't really well, the blonde girl from four gets yeah, killed I immediately. I found that infuriating, which is annoying. Too. Yeah, because then you're invested in baby Jamie. Mm-hmm. I guess she's not a baby, but like eight year old Jamie and her. Uh, was it adopted sister, foster foster sister? I don't know what that even is. I don't know her quote unquote sister's friend. Yeah. What? Who thought that was a good idea? Did the other girl just not want to do the whole movie and just uh, agree to appear for a couple days or something? Because why would that be a thing? I I don't know. Do you want to do number seven first? Sure. I have Rob Zombie's Halloween as number seven. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) What's your number six? Halloween two. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So our list is like the same, basically. Wow. (laughs) Number five? I have H2O here. Okay. Number four. Halloween four. Number three. Newly appointed Rob Zombie's <laughs> right. Halloween two. How did we have almost the exact same list? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we had one difference in the entire list. And then, of course, everyone knows Halloween three season of The Witch in number two. Yeah. Okay. Well, what if you threw a curveball there? No, it's season of The Witch is the masterpiece of this well, series. I thought about messing with the order as jokes. I had all kinds of different ones. H2O, I don't really think is that great, but I have a nostalgia for it. Yeah, there's definitely flaws with H2O. I think it's way better than 2018 Yeah, in terms of picking it back up. I think the character of Laurie Strode makes way more sense in H2O True. than she does in yeah. 2018. Agreed. Not making them brother and sister in the David Gordon Green movies is a huge mistake. Yeah. It immediately makes everything make way less sense. Right. And the stakes are lowered and you don't care about anything. Look, they didn't nail the mask. It gets retconned in Halloween Resurrection. They use What's This Life For as the closing song over the credits by Creed, which is so weird. There's 
a couple of weird decisions. It's very short. I think it's under 90 minutes. Yeah. But considering how far the franchise had fallen by that point after five and six, it was a huge step up, totally, I think. Totally. And I loved watching it at the time. Four. Probably the closest to the original out of... If it, like In terms of the storyline? In vibe, yeah. like Kind of. Well, vibe, I would say the original Halloween 2. Well, yeah. Probably has the same true. vibe. Yeah. But 4 is what I think they should have fallen into, which is how hard is it to fucking replicate this every couple of years? Totally. With different characters. Let's but not reinvent the wheel here. I know. They started adding in the man in black, the Sam Hain shit, the mystical druids, whatever the fuck. <laughs> You're like, what is this? I know. Stop like, why are constellations that? like playing a part? <laughs> oh, God. Season of the Witch and Halloween 2 and the original we've already covered on the show. For those of you wondering, would we ever cover another Halloween on the show? I would say yes. Probably four in H2O are candidates. Yeah, yeah. Probably none of the others are remotely possibilities. And. Don't get too excited, though. I would say that they're candidates in the sense if we keep doing this for like five more years. I wouldn't say anything's imminent. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee we aren't going to be talking about anything Halloween-related for at least a couple of years. I think we got to put a big pause on this franchise now, don't you? Yeah. Because we did Halloween in 2020 as the first time we ever did it. We did Halloween 3 Revisited in 2021, and now we've done Halloween 2 Rob Zombie's version now. I think it's a lot. I agree. It's well-covered territory. But we're not done covering it yet, because I think last month I mentioned that I had purchased the novelization of one of our favorites, Halloween 3, which is out of print. I had to buy it at a used bookstore for $45. It's a little paperback. They used to do this with pretty much every movie, especially genre movies or mainstream movies. Probably not adult dramas or less so movies that would appeal towards adults only, but I don't want anybody to be confused about what this is. Halloween 3, of course, is not based on a book. They write the book (laughs) after the fact, and they're usually pretty terrible, but they're a genre unto themselves. They're written quickly, and you can tell. They're slapped together. They're always kind of funny because they add details to the story that are usually hilarious. If there's ever sex scenes, they're embarrassing and cheesy. Everything is just (laughs) really whatever. So I wanted to read a few passages that I highlighted. Hopefully this goes well. Some of you may be turning it off right now, whatever. Like I said, I'm turning 40 soon. This is my birthday episode. I'm (laughs) indulging in all the things I can think of that will be fun. This is a complete disaster. Maybe I'll just cut this entire thing. No, it'll be fine. It stays. It's your birthday present to yourself. So Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, as a novel, was written by Jack Martin. I believe it probably came out around the time of the movie, although I think this is a later pressing, later into the 80s. They were making multiple pressings of this, believe it or not. (laughs) This is just like the type of shit that you would find at fucking... They used to sell stuff like this at bookstores. I'm old enough to remember novelizations existing. Yeah, yeah. Because it kept going into the 90s. You walk up to one stand at a flea market, and it's like all these Oh, yeah, they would have a huge box of them, and most of them would probably be shit, but then some of them actually would be worth money. Like, I think the original 1978 novelization Uh is combined with Halloween 2, maybe? Or no. No, no, no. There is a Halloween 2 
And I think they're all written by Jack Martin, the same guy, wrote all three of them. And I think the original Halloween novelization is like hundreds of dollars on eBay now. Wow, okay. So if you saw that at a flea market, you want to grab it. Yep. All of the sections I'm going to read mostly focus on the Dr. Chalice-Ellie relationship, which is why we always find Halloween so funny. The most compelling relationship Part of it, though, is when we initially covered Halloween 3 in the early days of the podcast, we were joking and making all kinds of fun about just the concept of this older guy having sex with this younger girl above age. You know, not totally creepy. Going on this journey with 100% one thing in mind. Yeah, and this novelization seems to go along with that. Yeah, yeah. The way we were thinking about Dr. Chalice and Halloween 3 is kind of how this book does. It's the generally accepted portrayal. Some of this is just about his alcoholism. Okay, great. The day after the funeral, he had bourbon for breakfast. (laughs) That sentence alone, I was like, all right, here's one section I'm reading. (laughs) That sentence, the day after the funeral, he had bourbon for breakfast. Mind you, that could sound sad. Yeah. Except this is a man that he doesn't know. This was Ellie's dad. (laughs) So any excuse? The bar was dank, the air stale, the glasses not yet washed and re-racked from the night before. Chalice had been there when the bar closed, and now he was opening it. Charlie, the bartender, never failed. He kept regular hours, too. I just put that in there for the first sentence, really. Second one only comes a few pages later. This is when he's still in the bar. Oh, my God, pages are going by, and he's sitting in the bar, and fucking (laughs) Ellie hasn't even showed up yet. They really dragged some of this shit out. This is when the commercial for Halloween, the original, is on TV. This is like a novelization of my life. And I wanted to highlight this section because he's talking about Annie. Right. Nancy Keys. He's literally watching this on TV, just commenting on the commercial. The girl on the right made a derisive comment. Dark, New York, sarcastic, passing for witty. A real ball breaker. Hmm, he thought. I know the type well. Reminds me a little bit of old Linda. I'll bet that's what she was like at that age, always on hand with the right remark to shoot down anybody in sight. Now, why would I pick that, Matt? Tell me why I picked that. Come on. He's watching this on TV, Yeah. and he's talking about Linda. Right. Who's Linda in Halloween 3? And who's Annie in Halloween 1? Well, yeah. (laughs) He's talking about his wife. Yeah. (laughs) That's just like an in-joke that this writer thought was worthy of putting in here, I guess. (laughs) I, although I appreciated it. Yeah. I immediately was reacting to <laughs> I think it. it's worthy. Now, finally, Ellie and Dr. Chalice have made their way to Santa Mira and they're in the vicinity of the motel, but they haven't quite got there yet, I don't think. I'm not ready for this. She sat back. We need a plan. Chalice reached for a cigarette, but his jacket pocket was empty. He remembered that it had been empty for a long time. How about this, he suggested. We drive down that road, get some beer, and go to the beach. <laughs> Yeah, my reaction, too, was he's joking. And then you find out immediately, no, no, that really wasn't a joke. (laughs) She says, I'm serious. He was feeling fresh and awake now and and was determined to not let the day end on a note of despair no matter what. There was always hope. I, for one, don't need to drive all afternoon to find more doom and gloom, he thought. I can get that at home. (laughs) He tried another tack. All right, here's one. We go back to that gas station and see if they know anything. We could... Pose as buyers, maybe even rent a room at that motel. That sounds eminently reasonable, he thought. Realistic, and realism is what we need. Then we'd have some place to talk without the whole town watching. She accepted that without a blink. 
Good point. It's getting late anyway. She drew her jacket liner closed, pulling her sweater sleeves down over her arms. So he's setting it up. I picked that because... A real tactician. Yeah, he's making it seem like he's trying different inroads. Totally. When he said, let's go get beer and go to the beach. Maybe we could do this. Maybe we get a hotel room. I was just kidding. Unless... (laughs) (laughs) Unless there was something to entice me to do that. Now they're finally in the room. The room was what he expected. Ellie, however, was a great deal more. She was perched neatly on the double bed, her dark eyes alert, ready for anything. Oh, boy. This is so cheesy. Chalice shook his head. This place is a zoo, he told her. I saw Cochran, his car anyway. So she was working on it even now. She wouldn't let it go. (laughs) This is like when they first get there. Inside the mind of Dr. Chalice, this is exactly where I want to be. By the way, your old man stayed here on the 20th. This stinks so bad that I can't believe this is a line in a published book. Okay. She pounced on that fact with the expression of a cat at feeding time. Oh my gosh. I was right. Then we should go directly to the factory and see if... Slow down. I could use a drink. We've got got this room. (laughs) Let's take our time. It's okay with you? She pulled herself up short and considered him without condescension. Her question was genuine. She's as straight as they come, he thought. Not a game player. If she is, she's the best at it I've seen. (laughs) What the fuck is he talking about? I guess these clothes can hold out for another day, he said, if you can stand me. She unlatched her overnight bag and eyed the bathroom, probably to change. On the other side of the paper-thin wall, Buddy and Betty and Little Buddy were banging doors and installing the artifacts of their lifestyle with suburban abandon. I could always get another room, he offered. She eyed him up and down. Was she smirking? There wasn't enough light to be sure. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) And yet, this is exactly what we thought all along. Oh, totally. It's like confirmation that it was as absurd as we believed it was. That would look sort of suspicious, wouldn't it? She said evenly. She was so trusting. She doesn't even know me and listen to her. For all she can tell, I'm some kind of psycho, Jack the Ripper with a black bag of nasty tricks concealed somewhere on my person at this very moment. She's not naive, but her faith is alarming. She's made the right decision this time, of course. Very perceptive of her. <laughs> Has she? Yeah. Wait, what? Because <laughs> she's with you, you degenerate. Aren't you going to do exactly yeah. what you're insinuating? He said, what I mean is... If it would make you feel more comfortable, I could sleep in the car. That would probably be better than the floor anyway. Without hesitation, she said, surely we can do better than that. Then, in one of those rare epiphanies that make life worth living, she unfolded her legs from the bed and came to him. She stood inches away. Hmm. Matt's actually touching himself right now. Yeah, really. This is hot stuff. (laughs) Here he was fumbling around with formalities, and she had already made up her mind. (laughs) Every sentence of this book makes me laugh. (laughs) Somewhere along the line, he had lost the lead, if he had ever had it. She had, as the saying goes, let him continue, and all along, he had been egotistical enough to believe that he had the advantage. Well, damn her sweet hide. (laughs) That, he said, is a dumb question, Miss Grimbridge. The orange light of sundown painted the curtains in the room a color that became more intense with each passing second. Okay, one more. And it's a long (laughs) one. It's even longer than that. (laughs) I had to stop myself at a certain point because I wanted to put all of chapter eight in. 
How many pages? Did- this is a good couple pages, so I'm going to try not to break as much. Okay. Folks, thank you so much. We're still going to do our regular segments. We got email and physical media spotlight coming up, but this is the last one. Halloween 3 by Jack Martin. Chapter 8. <laughs> Ellie came out of the shower wrapped in a towel. She had the radio on. As he stripped the glasses of their sanitary paper coverings and poured out two husky drinks, she lay down on the bed and pretended not to watch him. This is after he goes and gets alcohol at the liquor store. Yeah, yeah. Her eyes were heavy-lidded, and she was smiling like a cat. He loves comparing her to a cat. Seriously. He could have spoken, but thought better of it. He carried the drinks to the bed and sat down. She took hers from him. What am I doing here, he thought. He took the drink down in one toss. He got up, measured out another, and brought the bottle back with him. Her glass was only half empty. She doesn't even need it, he thought. Jesus. Oh, my gosh. The silence, broken only by the music, and a cricket outside the window became a barrier. The longer it went on, the harder it was to break. But it did not seem to trouble her. She set her glass on the night table. The light from the aged lampshade gave her skin the texture of warm wax. Is that supposed to be attractive? My God, he thought. At a time like this, Linda would have a million things to say. I would not be able to shut her up. (laughs) But this one... She's comfortable with herself, and so with me. She knows what she wants. I wouldn't want the wrong thing to happen, he thought. We have a lot more time to spend together. There had better not be any problems between us. We already have enough to worry about on this trip. She uncapped a bottle of baby oil and began stroking it on her legs. Oh, my gosh. What? Baby oil? Pretty sure of herself, isn't she, he thought. Pretty sure of yourself, aren't you, he asked at last. (laughs) That's good. That's unbelievable. That was good. Yeah, that's hilarious. Shouldn't I be? (laughs) They're making her much more seductive in this book. Well, one thing is for sure, you need to be hired to do the audiobook of this. (laughs) You're in the room with them right now. Yeah, I'm loving it. (laughs) I know, I should just read this as an audiobook. I like your Ellie. Shouldn't I be? Shouldn't I be? (laughs) She cooed. No, she doesn't say that. The radio played on, and she proceeded with her baby oil. Eventually, she put some on her arms and neck. Her skin glistened like rose petals with dew. She began to rub it into the hollow of her throat, then below her collarbone. Whoa. I was thinking, though, the point of these books was sort of to allow younger people to read the stories, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because they definitely are never R-rated, even if the movies are. But... It feels weird reading a PG-ified sex scene from a book where you're like, what are you building towards, though? This is so weird. Why would a kid want to read all this? Totally. Unless they were stroking their dick to it. And it's not that hot. No. (laughs) The night was a wall outside the window, insulating them from the world. He touched the underside of her leg to know how it would feel. She was still warm from the shower, soft and steamed. It was the softest skin he had ever touched. She tilted her head questioningly. He didn't know the answer. There was no longer any question. He moved to her. The music on the radio gave way to an advertisement. Two more days to Halloween. Oh, no. Halloween. Halloween. Chalice sighed a sigh that was like all the breaths he had ever drawn in his life going on at once. (laughs) Jesus, this is so dramatic. I don't believe this commercial, he said. Her breath was on him. It doesn't stop. She turned the radio off. He laid his mouth into the tenderest part of her neck. It fit perfectly. Gross. There was a sound from the cabin two doors down. What was that, said Ellie. Mm. I mean it. It sounded like woman in three. Marge, I talked to her while you were gone. So did I. I like her. She reminds me of my mother. What, thought Chalice. Marge Gutman is no older than I am. She's... 
His heart sank out of his body and through the floor. How old are you, he said. Relax, I'm older than I look. So am I, he thought. (laughs) But you are 18. He was only half kidding. (laughs) Boy, are you dumb, said Ellie, and rolled over on top of him. The towel fell away. He gave up and kissed her. He didn't have to kiss her again. The first one lasted a long time. Hmm. And that's really about as hot as it gets. They don't get like super into the sex, but (laughs) the baby oil element was shocking. It's pretty steamy. So there it is. Classic literature. I have to say $45 well spent. (laughs) I was laughing a lot. That's awesome. Because he is that version of Dr. Chalice that we saw. He is actually that guy. It is really weird that they made a whole yeah. movie and they're like, the hero of this movie is a drunk loser <laughs> whose wife divorced him because he's a fuck up and yeah. hates him. And now he's going to try to fuck this girl who's 25, 30 years younger than him, maybe yeah. 20. And that's it. So, And Stonehenge will be involved in some way. After I watched the theatrical cut of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, I put the original Halloween 2 on Peacock. Oh, maybe I'll watch some of this. Fell asleep immediately. Slept through the whole movie. I wake up. Halloween 3 is playing. (laughs) That's surreal. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's the scenes early on where he's talking to Agnes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Zach and I are always pushing this narrative where he's being overly creepy and grabbing her butt, not thinking that that's actually in the movie. Oh, yeah. And then he does, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, he actually does do it. That's not just us talking about it. Oh, yeah, he (laughs) he does it in the novelization, too, except Agnes seems like she's in love with him. Well, yeah. I get that in the movie. (laughs) That actress really conveyed a lot. (laughs) Halloween 3 is great. Let's move along. We're going to skip recommendations. This is obviously already insane and long. This might be our longest episode by the end of it. I don't care. You know what? It deserves it. Out of all the movies we've ever done, (laughs) this one deserves to have the longest One that's almost universally despised. We still haven't built up yet to the point where I reveal this is all like a big yeah. trick. And I'm like, I can't believe you had it third, you fucking idiot. It's the worst one. As if that's somehow a beatdown on you. Like, I didn't do hours of notes on this for a movie. It doesn't matter. The beatdown on me doesn't matter. As long as no, there's no. some yeah. on you, then no. it's funny. All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. Let's get to email. This one comes from Will. Subject line, thanks for an awesome show. Well, you're welcome, Will. Yeah. Hey, guys. My name is Will, and I've been a listener of the show for about four months now, and I just wanted to say thank you for doing what you do for the past year year or so i've been dealing with some personal struggles in my life and my mental health hasn't been the best but your show has been a constant source of enjoyment laughter and thought-provoking takes i know it might seem silly but it seriously has been a huge help to me these past few months i've re-listened to some of your episodes more times than i care to admit but they get better every time admit it (laughs) yeah admit it matt needs to hear how many times (laughs) That's your gimmick on this show, is endlessly needing praise and love and adoration. And my gimmick in real life. (laughs) You guys have reignited the love for film that I thought had died, and you've inspired me to get back to work on a script I started working on in college, but lost interest in when COVID and everything else happened. A Town Full of Losers? Is that the name of it by any chance? (laughs) Yeah, I did think we we might need to reveal our... Yeah. <laughs> past efforts. 
Again, I just want to thank you guys at this point. Every time I listen, I feel like you two are old friends, and it's fucking awesome. Best, Will. Thank you, Will. Definitely. Unbelievable to hear things like that. that no kidding. Email That's the best response we could get. Really caught me off guard the first time I read it, because I myself have felt that way about podcasts or TV shows or books Absolutely. or whatever. You go through times in your life where you feel depressed or bored or sad or whatever, and then having something there as like a yeah. comfort. Just uh, come hang out with your friends And to actually here. get to be those people oh, yeah. is unbelievable. I would have yeah. never thought. I'm no, humbled almost. It's really great. It's one of the best emails we've received. Like I did just send put some stickers in the mail for Will and send him a nice little note. Yeah. personalized note too so all right yep. so be on the lookout for that thank you so much will for the kind words that's really the only reason we even still do this show as i send that reply to most people that email to us basically we keep doing this because of the interactions with people it's really been blowing us away that anyone even cares about this it took a long time for anyone to even notice it absolutely which was fine but you don't want to keep doing that forever no no I think the first few years needed to be anonymous. Totally. Toiling away in anonymity yeah, until we got a little bit better. If we could do this. <laughs> so thanks to Will. If you would like your email read on the show, greatestpod at gmail.com. Greatestpod at gmail.com. We have been working our way through a little bit of a backlog. So if you send it in, it'll probably be read pretty quick. We would like to do that on most episodes, although I do feel like Part of what we've learned about ourselves coming out of Greatest October is that these episodes are so long. And I know this is the longest, but... It's the grand finale. They will continue to be long. However, okay. we're going to try to trim some of the segments sometimes. Recommendations are going to stay whenever we have them. Yeah. So that could be every single episode or... Never. Never. It just depends. Yeah. Email, well, I'd like to do every episode, but I will probably take breaks from time to time to try to let some come in because we're probably maxing out how many people are really going to email us. Yeah. Hopefully more continue to do so, but I'm realistic. Greatestpod at gmail.com. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. And this final segment, Physical Media Spotlight, we're only going to do probably once a month, maybe, from now on, something like that, unless there's a special occasion to really dive into it. This time, I'm going to feature a film that we almost did for this year's Greatest October. Now, granted, normally I wouldn't reveal episodes that we didn't end up doing, but I'm not 100% sure we'll ever get to it. So okay. in case we don't, mm -hmm. maybe we will, maybe we won't. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh, yes. On 4K from Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome really does an incredible job with some of their 4K work. I don't know why, <laughs> because... Most of their movies are trash, and then, and in a good way. I own a lot of them. But then they'll dabble with these mainstream releases. I know Matt has at least yeah. one or two of them, right? You have Showgirls and Roadhouse, right? Right, right. Those are the VSUs. They're almost a higher up level than the, the horror ones. The VSUs are not supposed to be horror. It's a different line. Gotcha. Yeah. Those are more mainstream type movies. But their horror 4Ks are awesome, too. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is awesome, couple of people in that film work regularly with Rob Zombie. Yep. The main girl, Stretch, she's one of the surgeons in this movie. It's sort of like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, where once Toby Hooper got a bigger budget, 
and was allowed to do it exactly how he wanted to do it. It was way more comedic and weird. Yep. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is a very fun movie. It's way different from the original, totally. though. It's gross. It's really gross, yeah, but yeah. in a more cartoonish way that never feels as real right. or snuff film-like like the first movie or anything. So check that out if you are into 4K. I think there's a chance we may get to it. I'd also like to shout out two different Exorcist releases, Okay, the original film. I, of course, just like Suspiria, had to make an ass of myself and order both <laughs> deluxe versions. The one that I got from the UK that's like a Bible, that thing is nuts. Yeah, it is. It's so heavy. It's as heavy as a brick. <laughs> but I'm happy I cool, got though. it. Yeah. That thing actually showing up from the UK, I was so happy. Right. Because I was afraid maybe it wouldn't. That's just a little shout out. My main one will be Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from Vinegar Syndrome. Okay, you took the wind out of my sails a little bit with this one with a comment that you made earlier. <laughs> I always had this on my list to do for physical media this month. But I do kind of think it's a little bit of a companion piece to this movie. It's probably one that most people don't consider horror, even though it is horrifying. But Criterion's, of course, I'm talking about Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Okay. Which is one of the fav- my favorite physical media things that I own because it's just one of my favorite movies of yeah, one of my favorite all-time media things. But I do think it is kind of a – there is some sort of a little bit of a tie-in with Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Oh, yeah. I think you know? so. I think so for sure. Now, Laura's source of pain different. is different. Annie, her father, does great to right, Lori, right. and Lori's yeah. ado- adopted father is dead, and her birth father also is long dead, we mm-hmm. find out. Unless, was the boyfriend supposed to be her father? That shitbag guy? I don't know. That's never clear. I didn't think so, but... The other sister who Michael murders, and Michael... Their father is definitely dead. Yeah. I don't know if that That's shit true. that guy was supposed to be I never be thought her. about that, yeah. Because she's so little in the first movie. Right, so he could be. But yeah, different source of pain, but I do think there's a lot of similarities. Hopefully we get a 4K of Firewalk with me yeah. this year, maybe. You know, a lot of criterion for me, but of all the boutique companies, that's the one that I own by far the most of. Yeah. I also own the, the Criterion Blu-ray as well. There's always rumors that Criterion might do all of Twin Peaks as like a 4K box set. I think some of that might be wishful thinking on some people's yeah. part. I don't know if that because they already charge yeah. so much fucking money. It's like, what price point are you going to put that at where it's worth it? Right. Anyway, yes, we will obviously be covering Firewalk with me someday. You know that we love Twin Peaks mm-hmm. on the show. This episode is long enough. Let's head into the grand finale find us on x slash twitter at greatest pod please email us greatestpod at gmail.com please subscribe to the program on apple Podcasts, podbean etc never miss an episode please give us a rating and review on apple podcasts if you'd like a free sticker let us know i guess stay tuned for the potential halloween stickers which will probably More to come. be coming out well after yeah halloween. maybe by next year <laughs> well maybe we'll get Keith to design us a Christmas logo, yeah, yeah. a One Trashy Summer logo. He's got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed Greatest October. I doubt there's many of you who have stuck it out to the very, very end of this. But, wow. but we, we commend you. It. <laughs> back to normal next month. Back to listener requests. 
next month. We're not doing a listener request next, but in the next episode, I'm going to run through the list and get everybody up to speed on the listener request thing. Remind everyone how that works. Anything else, Matt? No. God, no. (laughs) I told you in a text message that this was going to be long. But then you said that was a joke. Kind of. Yeah, but I I think deep down I kind of knew <laughs> yeah. that we were going to go here. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Halloween. Love hurts. Love scars. Love wounds and marks. Any heart not tough, not strong. Um...